0: And I'm Rihanna. And today, we are thrilled to have Jera Hodge joining us from the Women at Warp podcast. Hi, it's so great to be here. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much for joining us for a Voyager feminism series. We are going to be talking about all things Janeway today.
1: Yes. Very exciting. Yes.
0: <laughs> We've been both watching and listening to Women at Warp for a long time. And so Rihanna has, when she decided to choose the feminism series, was immediately like, okay, we need someone. Yes. (laughs) I definitely have a little bit of a crush on Women at Warp. I think that you all are doing amazing things.
1: Oh, thank you. Uh, It is honestly so great to have more women hosted shows and just shows with more diverse hosts in general. Um, We've been going now for seven years. And when we started out, we were on a network with about 30 shows. And there was one other show that had one woman host on it. And there was one hosts or two hosts that were people of color and then there was us and uh I know that at the time you know looking around for Star Trek podcasts it just everything sounded very the same and it is awesome to have so much more diversity in the podcast space now including you folks.
0: Absolutely yeah we've definitely been feeling that even today I feel like there's a lot of the same going on in the podcast void but it's been it's been getting a lot better so I'm happy and I think as Star Trek diversifies Uh, the fan base is as well so absolutely it's good (laughs) um all right well to start us off how about you talk about how you got into star trek and kind of your history with trek
1: yeah sure so um i started out watching next generation with my older siblings when i was about five is my first star trek memory which was the best of both worlds and i had Borg nightmares all summer <laughs> while I waited for that conclusion. Um, but I was pretty into it from an early age, and then when Voyager came out, we had moved to the small island and we didn't actually have cable. But my sister would videotape Voyager and Deep Space Nine and mail them to us. But I didn't start out watching Deep Space Nine right away. I started with Voyager, and I was so excited about Captain Janeway because there was gonna be a captain that I could you know more see myself in that position and um so that was really my first star trek and i used to have like a poster of captain janeway on my wall that i used to like talk to and ask for advice uh yes. so uh pretty uh long connection to this character and star trek absolutely it's the ultimate what would janeway do you know yes. from, like, yes. at <laughs> <Exactly. her>. yeah
0: <laughs> so would you say janeway's your favorite character or who's your favorite character from trek
1: um I think that uh later on I really really grew to appreciate Kira Um, I think she's one of the best, uh, most complicated characters um, who has a really powerful arc and she has meaningful relationships of different types and she's just super badass. And then I would say that actually some of the newer characters are definitely also pushing their way into my favorite characters list. I mean, uh, like, I feel like picard seven is the best seven and i am here for every minute of that and um and there's so many great characters on discovery as well so um it's really hard to to pick a favorite but i would say that um you know jamie is definitely up there but probably edged out by a few folks that i feel like i relate to a bit more as an adult
0: i love that yeah i feel like day to day it changes for me sometimes i'm janeway sometimes i'm picard and yeah. yeah, I love all the, I love the new shows and I agree with you that Seven has really been like making my heart beat these yes. past couple of seasons. <laughs> Her highest evolved form is in Picard. Yeah, she's amazing.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> so you talked a little bit about Women at Warp. You started like seven years ago. Have you been on the show for that long?
1: Yeah, so we started about uh, just under seven years ago with four of us. Uh, We had all been asked to guest on other podcasts and had heard each other and were, you know, okay, hey, there's women doing this too. Um, and why don't we start our own thing? So we did. And then a couple of years ago, uh, we brought on three new crew members to kind of round out our ranks um, and make sure that we had a wider range of perspectives. And that's been really, really awesome. So now we have seven of us and we rotate shows. And we talk about um, I would say we alternate kind of more fun topics and more serious topics, and we'll you know analyze episodes and characters, but we we switch between series, and then sometimes we'll have bigger thematic episodes about you know big topics like citizenship, immigration, and refugees in Star Trek, or environmentalism in Star Trek, and um, want to make sure that we're continuing to have fun. We all love the show, but we're also prompting people to look at it from new perspectives and consider how it relates to the real world.
0: That is so wonderful. That's something I really love about your show is I think it also helps me to expand the way that I talk about Trek on our podcast, hearing why I heard one of your episodes a while ago about like art and how art sort of is informed in Star Trek and particularly with like Kira and her sculpting episode and all of that. Like, I think that those deep dives that you do are so inspirational that it's a lot of what Ashlyn and I do here on this show is like try to see Star Trek through this deeper lens and it's just such cool work you all are doing. Oh thanks so much. And I was reading your bio a little bit and you have a history with gender studies. Can you talk about that a little
1: yeah, I mean, so my undergraduate was in, um, at the time it was called Women's Studies, the same department's now called Gender Studies. Okay. And mm-hmm. um, certainly at the time, um, my department was was moving into being, you know, less essentialist about gender, recognizing that um, gender is really inextricably linked with a lot of other things, including race and sexual orientation and gender identity and, and all of those things. So it was really interesting. And I it, the one of the things that folks who have graduated from those programs will say is that it does kind of ruin you for consuming media because you can't unsee the, the challenges and the inequities in the media you're consuming and the potential ramifications of the representation. But the plus side is that I basically, I had kind of stopped watching Star Trek in my late high school years and in university and then I came back to it kind of with this whole new lens and uh, started exploring it. I have a side blog project called trekkiefeminist.com and uh, just, you know, started really digging into it from that perspective and even, you know, using my education in a way that I am mostly not using in the rest of my life. (laughs) that's so fair. I love that
0: because I think media does really talk about the times that the show came out and we see this particularly with Voyager. I think even setting up all of these episodes has been so interesting to me because like some shows like Deep Space 9 has a lot of women and we had a pretty long episode, but for original series and our upcoming Enterprise episode, it's kind of like we're scrambling to talk about maybe 3 women total, you know, <laughs> and like there's, you know, smaller roles they get. So it's so interesting to see how those like peaks and valleys sort of happen a lot in media.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you want to geek out a bit, you can find an article that I wrote at the Mary Sue about the Bechdel-Wallace test in Star Trek, um, which yes. I don't if know if, if your listeners are familiar with this, but it's basically, it started out as a bit of a joke um, to point out the lack of meaningful women in meaningful relationships that aren't just heterosexual romances in media. So the test is that two women... Have to talk to each other about something other than a man and um there's been there's other types of this test that take into account um more different metrics and stuff but the point i think is that it's a super low bar that if you look at star trek it is almost impossible to find an episode that would fail a reverse test where you couldn't find two men who talk to each other about something other than a woman but it's very easy to find episodes that fail the Bechdel walls test uh, for women. So um, I wanted to point out how this show that, you know, says like, we're over gender, basically, and like, everyone's equal now actually still has these baggage. I think we have similar perspectives
0: with uh, the way that we view Trek because Rihanna and I also watched it kind of like middle school through high school was the first time we saw it through and then kind of, you know, didn't see too much of it uh, for the past I don't know, like five years or so. And so now that we've been doing the podcast, we've always been diehard fans, but uh, we've been watching way more, you know, since starting this. And it's definitely a much different perspective. And I'm finding myself viewing a lot of female characters, especially with a lot more perspective than I had when I was younger. I mean, I think I I had so much like misogynistic thoughts, you know, about so many women like Troy. And, um, and Hoshi, you know, so it's, it's really nice to rewatch these in a different lens, realizing, wow, I've, <laughs> it's good to grow up and, you know, uh, actually like know what's going on and not have this terrible view that I had when I was younger. So it's, yeah, interesting for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's get into it a little bit. Um, Rihanna, I'm gonna start with you. I am wondering, this is the question we've been asking for every episode of our feminism series. If you had to choose a male character in Voyager, who drinks the most respect women juice? Oh man, I mean, it's Tuvok. That is my answer. (laughs) It's like, so easily Tuvok to me. There is a particular line that jumps out at me. It's, Uh, when Neelix is struggling like they're talking about raising kids and he's essentially talking about separately educating his like daughter and son or whatever and Tuvok he's sort of affronted like why would you teach them differently and like what is there to not teach a, a girl that you would teach a boy and all of this stuff and there are so many instances of that where Tuvok is just such a champion of women and he is always Always like backing Janeway in her decisions. It's partially, you know, because they're like BFFs, but also just because he respects her so much and her choices. And same with Seven of Nine. Every interaction they have is just beautiful. Like they're both so blunt and straightforward with each other it makes their conversation very easy and with Balana, like he's so respectful of her position as engineer even though he doesn't understand her anger he still works with her a lot of the time and works with that anger in one of these episodes and like it's just phenomenal to see the way that he is because they're female makes no difference like he's very much just in the mind of like they're competent and I respect them, you know, and not just not sort of a Tom Paris view where you're kind of like, oh, that's a little sexist, bud, you know, so I just really want to shout out to Bach
1: because he is chugging that juice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's a great answer. Uh, Jero. what about you?
1: Yeah, I was gonna say Tuvok as well. Um, you know, we actually did an episode way back when we first started uh, called "Best Male Allies" in Star Trek, and we we'd put Chakotay on the cover image for that episode. I think Chakotay is probably a runner-up for this, um, mm-hmm. but Tuvok I think edges him out. Um, one of the things we talked about on that episode is how when Seven comes on board, in addition to the whole where they end up with Chakotay and Seven that. Chakotay and Janeway really start out playing this kind of parental role and like the way they talk about Seven is I find now a little bit uncomfortable, but Mm. Tuvok really just kind of validates her and same with the way that he mentors Kes, he doesn't do this kind of I guess you know treating her like you're a child that has so much to learn he he's there to just kind of sit with her and empower her and to like I think gives her agency in the relationship the friendship that they have in addition to how he supports Janeway and the conversation he has about raising girls and I mean I think it helps that he's the one with the wife back on earth and uh that you know there was this pressure at the time for everyone else to have heterosexual relationships, um, except for he's a Vulcan who's taken. Yep.
0: Yeah. Tuvok was also going to be
1: my answer. Um, I'm
0: going to say, well, I guess just to add to the Tuvok love, I think he's especially interesting because not all Vulcans are quite as feminist or, you know, like view people as equally as he does. I mean, we, we know Vulcans have, you know, they have their problems like the rest of the species, but we've seen Vulcans in the past that are biased against humans and against different species. And so I think he's obviously like Voyager is a, a further along show than original series and next generation. But I think just in general, yeah, he's very respectful of everyone he encounters. I just to be different too, I will say Chakotay is my runner up. Um, he is... I think he always takes people at face value, and especially because he was the leader of the Maquis, he's interacting with a lot of different type of women. He gets to know people very well, and just because they're female doesn't matter. So, yeah, Chakotay's great. And also, I mean, he just loves Janeway, so we get to see that, too, even though he, yeah. he loves her. so yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it should be understated how important it is that you have Chakotay, who's this leader of this group of basically rebels, who decides, it's okay, I don't need to be in charge here. I can let a woman be in charge here. And that is, I think, actually really important, given that, you know, I think still today we have situations you know in like politics and military and and just like day-to-day workplaces where we have issues today with not just men making space for women but anyone making space for people that are more marginalized for them in the room and much less letting those people take charge so I think that's super important absolutely yeah we never see
0: he doesn't interrupt her you know while she's giving a briefing or pretend like Mm -hmm. he knows better than her he's very respectful of the position and definitely leads the way for the rest of the crew I would say yeah, and he doesn't do any of that sort of like, oh, Belana, you're being, um, you're being too aggressive, or you're being like catty or sassy, or using any of those words that are just sort of demeaning of women who have feelings and emotions mm-hmm. and show them accordingly. And so, yeah, Chakotay is such a wonderful character for so many reasons, and yeah, I think those are great answers. All right, well, I'm ready to shift to Janeway. Yes, so. We we watched only three episodes for Janeway, and it's I mean it's tragic. I I want to watch every single. I just want to rewatch Voyager and then talk about Janeway. Yeah. Um, I think all of us are you know extremely versed in Voyager, so I'm I'm not worried about um, you know leaving anything out with her. But the episodes that we chose today, I'm gonna start out with Macrocosm from season three, episode twelve, and then we're gonna go on tonight from season five, episode one, and then end with Counterpoint from season five, episode ten. And we chose these episodes because they all show very different sides of Janeway, and I am just really excited to talk about this. We could have talked, obviously, about like Endgame, and because that's a you know very good character mm-hmm. study. We get to see two ex- like different sides of her from different times we could have talked about the caretaker and you know how she starts out this voyage but we decided to choose these just because they're unique so i know a lot of people might be like why didn't you choose this amazing janeway episode well the whole show is an amazing janeway episode so (laughs) (laughs) i just want to throw that out there for anyone who's angry but let's get going with macrocosm rihanna will you give a little plot synopsis about this Yeah, of course. So Janeway and Neelix are coming back from a meeting with the Tac-Tac, who are a species who communicate very much so through hand languages and body language and tone of voice so very easily offended and janeway puts her hands on her hips and apparently that's very offensive to their culture she does this like every day this is her like janeway pose (laughs) so anyway she's going back with neelix and she is realizing that there is a crisis on this ship there's like no one to be found aboard voyager and they're just like gone and there's these crazy like it's just wild because there's this virus that then becomes airborne like physically like there's like a it looks like a fly and it grows every every couple of minutes and so this viral agent has taken over the crew and is like slowly killing them all and she finds like all of them in the mess hall and all around the ship and so it's essentially once Neelix gets knocked down up to Janeway to solve this problem with the doctor's help. And so pretty much this episode, we get to see Janeway just be badass for like 40 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, right away. I just want to talk about like the dynamic with her and Neelix because I feel like we, we do see that sometimes like when, you know, she goes and talks to him about the morale of the crew and whenever they're like in the mess hall together. But we haven't, there's not a lot of episodes where they're in a crisis together. So I thought, like, this was a really cool pairing. And then later we're going to see that again with the doctor. So Mm -hmm. I love seeing her interact with these two characters that she doesn't normally spend a lot of time with. Because, like, right away, she just, she treats Neelix, she takes him seriously, I guess. And Neelix is someone who I don't really like. He's, you know, he's, I I, I don't know, Neelix is okay. But, like, the way that she interacts with him like, just so respectfully, she takes him very seriously, makes me, it, like, levels up my love for Neelix, too. Yeah. Um, So I really thought the beginning of this episode was really cool, just to see that dynamic between them. Yeah. Ashlyn, I'm really glad you brought that up, because I think, too, we're seeing an episode where Janeway is not working with seasoned Starfleet officers or Maki crew members who have dealt with a lot of these sort of harrowing experiences. We're dealing with Neelix, who is maybe not so great in a crisis. And the doctor who does a lot of panicking and a lot of worrying, which is fair, you know, but like he's a hologram, so luckily he can't get infected. And so he is a great help to her in keeping her healthy. And she has to be the guinea pig for his vaccine that he creates and all of this stuff. But I think it's so important to see how Janeway interacts with these almost civilian-like characters. Cause I'd say Neelix is the closest we're gonna get to a civilian on Voyager, besides maybe like Naomi, but I just think it's cool to see how rem- like how focused she stays even in this crisis, even when Neelix gets like sucked away by the goo and like, he's just <laughs> gone when she comes back, it's crazy. But like, she stays as cool as you please and I think it also helps when she's with Neelix because he's panicking and he's really stressed and she
1: is remaining this calm presence that he needs. We also learned that she has a bunch of background in linguistics and American Sign Language and stuff, which I had totally forgotten about until I rewatched this episode. I'm like, huh, okay, yeah, she's got a lot of credentials. Um, she Seriously. is a, just a very impressive captain. <laughs> Yeah.
0: yeah, that was definitely a running theme throughout these episodes, too. Just the fact that she can really fix any system. And I think the fact that she has, like, the strong engineering background makes her so valuable as a captain because a lot of these shows, you know, we see captains who really just followed, like, the command line. And so I think having someone from an uh, engineering background is important and especially when you're stranded in the Delta Quadrant and all your crew is passed out <laughs> yeah. she's she's the one who knows what to do to help the ship. And that was something I also love about this episode is when she is on her own and she knows the ship so well, every little inch of it, these eight she's able to figure out where to go to get to the doctor without getting hit by these like crazy bugs. And um, I love also that she takes off her jacket and she just looks so amazing running around in her top. Like, oh my God, I have such a crush on Kate Mulgrew. (laughs) (laughs) That was definitely my gay awakening,
1: like that episode. (laughs) Um, Janeway it's got like major Ripley vibes this whole episode and I'm very here for it um also I think just Voyager in general does body horror better than any other Star Trek and this one is not the most body horror episode but there's a lot of goo yes um But in terms of Janeway knowing all the systems, I think that's super important, and we see that in so many episodes, including like Year of Hell and other ones. Like she can also fly the ship, she can fire the the weapons, and you just really can't imagine like Picard doing that. Um, we also know that. Uh, Kirk, there's... I remember distinctly in This Side of Paradise, all everyone's, like, stoned from spores on the planet, and Kirk's just sitting on the bridge going, like, I can't run the ship by myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think... On one level i don't think that's that that would be as necessary for a character today because i think part of it was the just the pressure of this is the first woman captain um mm-hmm. just like you know that saying about how ginger rogers had to do everything that fred astaire did but she did it backwards and in high heels it's kind of like that with Jane janeway that i think they tried to do a lot with the character um and if anything they just Erred on the side of just being maybe like a bit too flawless or like too expert in things but i think that it was overall like really successful and and badass
0: yeah so i don't want to turn this into a star wars podcast at all but i have heard people talk about ray from the last three star wars movies with a complaining in that same department that she's too perfect and she has no flaws and I feel like, I mean, and, you know, the argument is that it's because she's a woman, like she has to be, she has to be perfect in order for her to be taken seriously. And so I mm-hmm. do agree. I think Janeway suffers from that. I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I think, I think in that argument, the, I've heard multiple podcasts talk about that with Ray and a lot of their opinion is that it just makes it unbelievable. But I, I mean, exactly what you said, women do have to work twice as hard in order to be, Taken seriously. And so, like, yeah, Janeway has flaws, but she has, it, she's just so badass. It makes it, I don't know, it, it makes it great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's important too, because this also sort of gives us a sense of how Janeway is. Like, Ashley and I watched Relativity for our Seven of Nine episode, or when we're going to talk about her later on today. And it was just like so amazing to see the flashback of Janeway first getting to see Voyager and her like becoming sort of this captain that she's going to be seeing her walk onto her bridge for the first time and all of this stuff and how uh the Admiral showing her around is like wow you know this well and she's like yeah I've been literally looking at the blueprints of my ship for three months and like ever since I got this assignment and so you can tell like just from those couple of lines and just the way Janeway is like she's going to be putting every single ounce of strength and effort into whatever she's doing and so that includes learning her ship back to front and knowing all of its systems and i just think that's so important particularly for a captain because especially one standing in the delta quadrant like that's huge and you're gonna come up with problems you know if you don't know your ship so well in this hostile environment or this you know just even just keep confusing difficult environment and so I'm just really proud of Janeway for like having to put in all those hours like we know that she probably spent nights learning the like everything about engineering everything about every single system climbing through every Jeffrey's tube you know like she has been through her whole ship and it's just so easy to track like it's so easy to know like oh my gosh this is just Janeway in her element and even though she's literally has like a high fever and she's getting attacked by these insectoids or like virus insects um she is still just doing her damnedest to make sure that her whole crew is safe and it's just so admirable to watch. I was just going to shout out to Kate Mulgrew um you mentioned you know that she has a fever during this episode I really felt like this was a top... I mean, every episode's a top tier, Janeway. Um, You know, Kate Mm -hmm. Mulgrew is amazing. And I I just watched the Captain's movie for the first time, with William Shatner's, like, interview with all the, like, captains. And, (laughs) I mean, there's a lot to unpack about that, but... um, William Shatner talking Kate Mulgrew, he brought up how hard it was for her to balance work and life. She was a single mom, you know, raising her kids at the time. Her kids, like, really resented her being gone all the time because it's exhausting. You know, you're shooting for 18 hours at a time. You're barely sleeping. You're barely home. It really takes a toll. And she said that, you know, she wished she could have done more with her children but ultimately, she never put less than 98% of her effort into Janeway. And I feel like that's something that really makes her, like, sets her apart from a lot of characters that we see on Star Trek. Because you can tell that she is, I mean, as hard as Janeway worked to become captain and she studied all night, you know that Kate Mulgrew, every hour she could spare, was, like, going over the scripts, thinking so deeply about this character. And I think... Uh, This episode is just one of the many, many examples of Kate Mulgrew just being fantastic. Yeah, Ashlyn, I'm so glad you bring up Mulgrew because, like, obviously we can't have her. We have Janeway if we don't have Kate Mulgrew. And I think that her addition to Star Trek has just brightened the entire Trek universe so much. And the fact that she, like, had such an incredible journey. I read Born With Teeth a while ago, her book, and it's just phenomenal just to, to hear about her whole journey into acting and her career and all of the hoops she had to jump through as a woman and just like as a actor, you know, it's just hard in the industry regardless of your sex and your age and all of that stuff. And it's just so, so tricky and she navigates it all so beautifully. As Janeway and as Kate Mulgrew,
1: so I just oh she's amazing. Yeah, well, plus coming in not as the first choice for this role, and yes. um, I I know that that wasn't always easy, especially at the beginning backstage, and you know having to deal with people who were you know they weren't lost in the Delta Quadrant, but they had just lost their captain that they thought they were starting with, mm-hmm. and um, I mean she came in and. Like you said, there's basically no time in Voyager where you can find a frame that Kate Mulgrew was phoning it in, right? Like she does not phone it in. You know, she just really gives her all to this performance and it's really, really beautiful.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. uh, Pour one out. (laughs) (laughs) I also love at the end of this episode, we get the meme that's famous of her with the tea. Yes. <laughs> as soon as I saw her hair up with that background, I was like, oh my gosh, this is there when she's is. drinking the tea when Chicote, <laughs> like, of course, the crew is recovered. And uh, he comes into the room to kind of talk about the day and how everything went. And she's got that cute little smile. <laughs> she's so cute. I love her at the end of this episode. Also, I just want to shout out to the fact that she is opening doors with her bare hands in this episode. Mm. She's using the little door opener things. Like, because none of the ship systems are working very well. She is running around with a phaser rifle. Like, she is not only, like, we're talking about perfect Janeway. I mean, she's also,
1: like, <laughs> physically so fit. and She so, eviscerates like, a virus with like a knife or a broken piece of metal or something. (laughs) Yes, that was
0: so sick. I was like, this is just the coolest thing.
1: (laughs) I also wanted to mention, um, you talked a bit about how she's kind of kind and generous to both Neelix and the Doctor in this episode. I think another thing that sets her apart is that she listens to everyone on her crew and that she actually actively encourages people to disagree and raise things she hasn't thought of throughout the series. And I mean, she's she certainly has a bit of a parental relationship to a lot of people on the crew, but there's she's frequently forced to reconsider her ideas um, about like Seven and the doctor really notably um, and to, you know, let the doctor have more autonomy and, and things like that. And she does it. And um, I think that is I think Kirk does that a bit. But like Picard is like, shut up, Wesley. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) and he he does like allow people to disagree in meetings. They have really great debates on Next Generation. Archer is really, really not pro debating his crew. In fact, he (laughs) will even not admit when he is wrong. Like if one of his crew speaks up against him, he just notably to Paul, he'll get all super defensive. And then at the end, when she's proven right, he won't even admit he was wrong. So Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the things I really value about Janeway, and I think it's what makes her a great leader.
0: Yeah, Jera, thank you so much for saying that because I think it also takes a lot of strength to admit when you're wrong and to understand that there's these flaws in your character and Kate Mulgrew actually describes Janeway once saying just like she's, beautiful, she's strong, she's intelligent, she's broken, she's, you know, and I just love that she added that, like, thing about brokenness, because, like, it doesn't make her any less of a character, and it, in in fact, it gives her more dimension, and it allows us to really understand that, oh yeah, she's human, she can maybe make snap judgments about people that then she will change, and... It's just massively important because, like you said, with with Archer or a lot of other male figures in Trek, particularly figures of authority, they're not going to back down and they're not going to give their crew the environment that they need to, like, grow and learn. And I think Janeway really fosters that environment. Well, I think that's a typical representation of power, you know? Like, if you have a strong idea of what you wanna do and you stick through it and you follow your plan. I think a lot of people respect that. And for Janeway to have that balance, I think is what makes her so awesome as well because she does know what she wants, what she wants to do and she thinks she knows the best way to solve a problem but if someone else has a better idea, it doesn't make her weaker for saying yes to that idea. And I, I think that's so important. I love her. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love what you were saying, Jera, about her being the parental figure for this crew because in the episode night, we really see one of the rare times where she is really questioning herself and really having a tough time with the choices that she makes as captain. So in this episode, Voyager has entered a region of space that has no stars, and they're supposed to be traveling through it for two years, which is incredibly, you know, claustrophobic feeling, like, you know, the the crew's starting to really lose their minds and really get restless. It's been two months when this episode takes place that they've just been in the dark, literally, the whole time. Mm -hmm. And we find, like, Janeway's not even in the first 10 minutes of this episode because she's been hiding in her quarters. Mm -hmm. And they're at a briefing that Jacote is leading and with the senior officers. And Neelick says, you know what would really help is if the captain was out here because people really like speaking with her and like checking in with her and seeing that, oh, she's okay, so we're okay. And so you really see that the crew is suffering because that parental like motherly figure is not there to guide them and so I thought that this was an episode that was completely out of character for her and so I just I thought it was really interesting one to watch yeah this is a super important one and some of you might be like she's been barely half this episode why why (laughs) is this a Jadeway episode but I really wanted to include it because it does show Finally, we're getting a bit of Janeway coming to terms with her decision to strand Voyager in the Delta Quadrant. And we're, we're getting to see a bit of the fallout of those feelings and how difficult they are for her. And I think that that is so essential because Janeway does put on a front. And she's very good at like putting up those walls when she needs to because she's a captain. You know, that's sort of as a captain, you kind of train to like put those walls up and to put on a brave face for your crew, and I think that this void that they entered just sort of pushed her past her limits of being able to put up those walls. I don't think she's actually, like, physically able to anymore, and so she hides away instead. And I think that this is, like, so important, and the fact that they don't have a counselor or any kind of, like, mental health provider is so Tricky. Like, obviously the doctor does not have good enough bedside manner to be a counselor, and so I think that, like, we are seeing the ramifications of that, particularly because Janeway has so much on her shoulders, and this is sort of, this void is sort of a mini, like, second stranding that they're having to experience.
1: Yeah I love this episode and I feel like this time it really hit me hard because I could relate to it from both sides of the situation just from during the pandemic mm-hmm. where I, I mean it definitely felt like the void was in terms of like the void is the thing that broke the camel's back it feels like you know what the third lockdown or something like that like that was the point where Janeway could no longer hold it together and I feel like we've all had those moments over the past couple of years so I i mean I could totally understand you know how on earth when you deal with those feelings without mental health support, um, without anyone you can really talk to because everyone is relying on you. Um, And then I also have, you know, um, been in situations where, you know, you're hoping for, you know, the leader of your organization or um, the leader of your country or something to be, restore your confidence. You're feeling like this kind of existential crisis and you're going, you know, where are they? And feeling that, in their absence, kind of everything that you thought was stable is kind of crumbling around you. So I just felt I could really understand those dynamics. And I thought it was really well done. And I I love the ending, but I won't jump ahead too much more.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's so true. I I think it's such a cool lens you're putting on, Jarrah, to talk about the pandemic and This one did really hit me hard, this episode. I was like, oh man, I'm feeling this one deeply. Cause I think too, then we get into this next part of the story where we pretty much have this one species committing like eco-terrorism almost, (laughs) like it's just not good. They are literally like venting this like toxic waste into this void space where there are native entities who are dying because of it. And Janeway has to then face another like moral quandary of if she should stay and help this species to fight against this eco-terrorism group or if she should just like head through this little wormhole that is in the void and get her crew out so they don't have to spend two years in the void and so she I I do love too that Chakotay goes to Tuvok for advice on how to sort of like what is going on with Janeway. You know her really well, and it's such a cool scene to see the two of them interact because like they obviously do not have a great past together. Tuvok was a spy, and so it's you know like they don't usually go to each other for advice, but they both need Janeway, and they know that like we cannot do this without our captain, and like she's falling apart. So Chakotay is like, how do I help her? And it's just really interesting to see Tuvok talk about Janeway because he says that she will risk herself to save others at any given time like this is Janeway's sort of like factory setting is that like if people are in danger she will put herself in that j- danger or place herself and we've seen this I mean this is very much a like Kirk mentality. I often compare Janeway and Kirk because they have a similar like disregard to the rules and they sort of beat to their own drum as a captain and I think this is also very similar is the fact that she will dive in head first to save her crew and this is the option that she comes up with that she'll stay behind in the void, the crew of Voyager will go ahead in the wormhole and she'll just be in the shuttle in the delta quadrant like clearly she would not have she would die like she would not make it and the crew knows this and i think that it's so important that tuvok and Ch- chakotay had that conversation before janeway did this again because they're like ah oh, yeah this is classic a classic janeway move
1: well and also yeah tuvok has that line that says guilt has been her constant companion which like mm. stabbed me in the chest like janeway stabs a <laughs> 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 I. Um, I, uh, I don't know if either of you have read there's the prequel novel Mosaic by Jerry Taylor about mm. like Janeway's life before Voyager and um, I highly recommend it because it goes into obviously Jerry Taylor was one of the really important people creating the character of Janeway and in this prequel novel she has uh, a, when she's a lieutenant. Um, there's an accident that kills both her father and her fiance and she has so much guilt about that and so you can really see even though they don't ever you know make that canon in the show um, they do reference this other accident and you can see how it's partly just about this sense of, of responsibility but there is also more this a sense of guilt like it's not just I'm gonna do my best because I can but it's like this is a deep emotional and moral responsibility. And if things go wrong on some level, it's my fault. And I think that's another thing that a lot of women, I mean, a lot of people struggle with. But I think particularly, um, you know, emotional guilt for for suffering in other people's lives that we're close to is something that that we find hard to um, kind of deal with and and shake sometimes.
0: Absolutely. And I really Feel like the void has brought out the desperation for that release like she needs to be released from this guilt and i think um you know sometimes when you're trying to fall asleep at night all of the things you regret start coming to you and i think janeway's and the whole crew is but particularly janeway has been experiencing this just looking to the void and everything that she's regretting is coming to her so powerfully and so the fact that she's willing to do something so out of, I mean, it is a, it's is—it's in character for her to sacrifice herself, but I feel like this is a particularly, like, stupid idea, you know, like, yeah. even if Chakotay and Tuvok hadn't talked to the crew beforehand, none of them would have let her do this, you know, this is this is not a good thing for her to do. Um, to just like sit alone in a shuttle for the rest of her life in the dark like no so I I think we really see the side of her that only comes out in the void I also think it's interesting that this is the first episode of season five so we haven't seen you know if you're watching as it's coming out we haven't seen the crew in like a year and this is the first episode to kind of kick things off and I also think. The fact that Chakotay and Tuvok haven't had this one-on-one before in four years of Voyager, that just telling that Janeway has held it together for so long. They haven't needed... shes I mean, she's needed support, but not enough to have characters come together like this in this way. So I thought it was really special the way that they come together in the end and... Also just, I can't believe she's held it together for four years.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. In this crazy. really <laughs> an ex- extreme situation. One of the limitations, though, to the fact that Star Trek was still really episodic at this time is I think it was really powerful that... Even though they didn't name it, I would say it's pretty fair to say they're talking about depression in this episode. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, But they have kind of the limitation of having to solve it by the end of the episode. So they have, you know, she gets uh, snaps back into action because, so, you know, she's getting busy and then people all say they support her and then she's fine the next episode. I think this one episode stands beautifully, but it isn't really obviously an accurate depiction of what it's like to recover from depression. Um, So that's one limitation invitation that luckily maybe Voyager walked so that Discovery could fly. Um Yeah.
0: I mean, I feel like if Janeway had gone to Paris and rolled in the mud with her brother, she would be feeling better, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's the Star Trek cure to uh PTSD, so
1: <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. That's so true. I-, I do think it always is a shame that particularly in these older star trek shows that we don't get as much of a mental health focus because of these the episodic nature of trek but i still think that like this yeah this is such a good episode to represent Sort of, sort of a like. I mean, I know it's past midway of the show, but sort of a like, how's the crew doing? Not great. <laughs> let's let's show you, you know. And I, I think to Janeway, it, it definitely is surprising that she hasn't broken down until season five. But also, it kind of makes sense to me because she's very stubborn, and I think she hasn't allowed herself to feel much other than just like action, next step, next step. And so then, when she's faced with the void and faced with literally nothing going on, that I think is when. When I get at my most self-critical is when I have nothing to do. And when I'm bored, that's when my mind starts like overthinking and overanalyzing every single decision I've ever made and feeling that immense guilt for things that maybe aren't my fault. And so I think that I was really seeing those intrusive thoughts for Janeway. I was like, ah, yeah, I recognize those. And so I think like it's, it's really important to talk about for her because I think particularly with captains you have to remain strong for your crew no matter what and that is a huge burden to bear and something that she cannot bear alone even though like she thinks she has to because she's the captain and so it's really cool getting to talk about her in this position because the rest of the women we've talked about haven't been in these captaincy roles and so they of course are feeling a lot of different pressures but I think Janeway's pressure is just so heavy and I am just like even more awe-inspired by her that she's able to get through this because I think that it would really break me and I don't know if I would Be the same again, you know, and I think it's also really cool, just like directing wise of this episode, that like when we're seeing the void, it's kind of just a reflection, you know, like we're just seeing the reflection of the character. And so it literally is Janeway having to look at herself and having to see all of those mistakes laid bare. And, you know, I mean, I don't think they were mistakes. I think she made the right choice, stranding them in the Delta Quadrant to save the Ocampa, but. That's obviously probably something that she goes back and forth with like every day, you know? Oh, yeah. Also, just to briefly touch back on something we were talking about a little earlier. I think just around the whole theme of depression, when you are feeling that way and you're so down, it's impossible to reach out and to connect with other people. And so, you know, at the beginning when Neelix is saying she really needs to come out and talk with people because they all like talking with her, it reminds me of almost like a a pastor or like a leader who is, you know, greeting the people. She's always going up to people at dinner and saying, how are you? And she knows all these details about their lives and not only is that helping the crew to have this sense of normalcy and for them to be you know inspired by her and connect with her but also it's fulfilling for her too you know this this is not this is her captain style this is not something that picard does Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know there and i mean it's it's just her type of leadership style and so i think that's one of the most telling things and it absolutely is a symbolism for depression that she she can't go out to connect with these people and she doesn't even, like, care, really, about updates on their lives. She's like, well, they all feel terrible like me, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, what's new? Yeah. So I just weird. I just really connected with her on that, too, because I think also with the pandemic, you know, and being quarantined, we were also isolated. And then now that we're kind of getting back into the real world, I am finding it hard to remember, how did I used to do this, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, they don't talk about that with Janeway, but I, I feel like they, they would if it was... a <laughs> more <laughs> continuous show but yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> well shall we move on to our last episode let's uh, do it i mean we could this could be a 40-hour podcast just about <laughs> janeway but we're gonna yeah. we're gonna contain it
1: <laughs> and we're gonna move Spin on to the janeway cast <laughs> yeah
0: yes yeah, yeah. absolutely that would <laughs> <be>. <laughs> so this last episode is called counterpoint and this is also in season five This one, Rihanna, did we talk about this one before? Because I feel like I've seen it recently. We did indeed. I believe it was... I think it was like Love and Affection or something. I can't remember what series it was. This relationship, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so this one, they are in a region of space that's being controlled by the De'Var, like extremely controlled Mm -hmm. uh, to the point where they have ships all throughout the quadrant and they regularly just check up on Voyager and the De'Var are obsessed with telepaths and they're very... Like racist towards them. They want to capture the telepaths, put them in camps. And Janeway has taken 12 telepath refugees on board. And she also has Bayazoid um, crew members, and of course, Tuvok, who is a telepath. Mm-hmm. He's and the a- other Vulcan. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the other Vulcan, of course. Mm-hmm. And so while they're being searched by the Devar they are in a they're in the pattern buffer like in the transporter which is an amazing hiding place. I know that Scotty accidentally hid there for 60 years. So it's a good place <laughs> to hide your people. But no uh, why would you be doing this? <laughs> Just got to do it. <laughs> But, yeah, so what's really interesting is that this... Uh, do you remember his name? I'm terrible with oh, these Lord.
1: side character names. Kashik.
0: Kashik. Oh, yeah. yeah, thank you. Yeah. So he, and his
1: uh, buddy is Prax.
0: Prax, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, Kashik is kind of the leader of the Devar ship that continues to inspect them, and they have this kind of, like, adversarial relationship where... He is starting to get to know her through all these inspections, and when he is on board, he meets her in the reading room, and he's playing Mahler 1, which is the second movement of Mahler 1. I'm like a big classical music person, so I was like, okay, Mahler. Um, <laughs> I'd forgotten that this was in there, and we get mm-hmm. Chike ch- 4 a little later. Yeah, so they don't find the telepaths initially. It goes on where later in the episode, Kashik says that he wants asylum and he's going to leave his position. And the whole time you're questioning, is he serious or is it a trap? By the end, we realize that, um, well, we think that he's betrayed Janeway, but really she was like four steps ahead of him and it all worked yeah. out. <laughs> um, but this one I thought was just an interesting episode to talk about too, because... Obviously, like, we don't see too many episodes of Janeway in a relationship besides, like, her whole relationship with Jakote that's like, will they, won't they? Um, <laughs> and we know that she has a history with Mark. I thought this one was just especially interesting because we don't know if we can trust him the whole time. Yeah, Ashlyn, thank you for that setup. I feel like this is a really important episode because we get to see Janeway's negotiation and manipulation tactics. I think that this is something that Janeway is kind of known for. I mean, this is, this reminded me a lot of Year of Hell. It reminded me of these episodes where she's having to work with all of this just like irritating procedures. There's a lot of... (laughs) species in the delta quadrant who are very strict about like their (laughs) space very like gatekeepy and so it was it's always really interesting to watch Janeway negotiate these situations and I think she just does this beautifully because like you said Ashlyn we have no idea if he's gonna betray she already does she knows he's gonna betray he is also really good at manipulating though like I he tricked me I was fooled like definitely I thought that he was gonna take asylum and they were gonna go through, I think it's another wormhole. There's a lot of wormholes in these episodes, but they essentially use each other until like both is not useful anymore. But Janeway is just able to play the game for longer. And so she's the victor, but it's just so interesting to see their dynamic.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. So the D'Vore are definitely portrayed as, I would say, space fascists. Like they're all wearing these like leather outfits with like lots of Kind of belts on them, and um, <laughs> yes. and you know they basically beam on with no notice, and have to do these inspections, and Voyager just kind of has no choice. I was, I think it's it's interesting because even though knowing where it's going to end up, you can still see why that I don't think she's pretending to be interested in him just to confuse him. That like on some level, she's also. A lonely person that she's allosexual she probably is interested on some level i asked my friend i was watching with her, i was like if you were stuck halfway across the galaxy and hadn't boned anyone in four years would you bone a fascist and she's like, <laughs> 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 yes but it would be hate sex <laughs> so um and i mean they don't they just make out. Um, But yeah, it's it's really interesting. And I, I really enjoy the back and forth of their interactions and the way that she, you know, she does keep just telling him, no, basically, like, I don't trust you at all. I don't like you. But then, like, at the end of the day, like, if you're actually a good guy, then I'll help you escape. Yeah, I like it. And I also like, there's um, a point in here where he's basically saying, well, if you can't go back, or aren't you going to be in trouble for violating the Prime Directive? Which is a big point that always gets trotted out by people who don't like Janeway, is how much yeah. how much she violates the Prime Directive. And I love how in this one, she just is goes no, I, I'm marching to the beat of my own drummer, which could just be that she's trying to appeal to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is also, in my opinion, very much the right call in this situation. Yeah, I actually saw a meme going around this week that had um, Admiral Satie saying to Picard, you know, do you realize that you have violated the Prime Directive on at least seven occasions? <laughs> and the response was Picard going, yeah, but nobody cares if it wasn't Janeway. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point and I just wanna dive off that for a second and say that like so many people use that and two as their excuse to hate Janeway and it just pisses me off because it's like If it, like, literally Archer did the same thing with Sim in Simultitude or whatever, and, like, literally no one talks about that. And they're like, it was fine, that was a great choice, you know, and all of this stuff. And it's just because she's a woman, and just because she's, like, a strong female leader, which is, like, so irritating. But, like, we know. We know how awesome she is, and that's what matters. (laughs) Like, she is so cool, and I love this episode, too. The fact that, like, she broke the Prime Directive to save these telepaths is such a beautiful thing you know and I think that that is the important part is that she's like literally hiding fugitives from Nazis like that is way more important than breaking the rules like are you kidding me (laughs) yeah I I thought you know I love what you were saying about would you bang a fascist if you were lonely (laughs) because I I was so surprised I hadn't I know we we'd seen this recently but I was really surprised that they ended up kissing. And I was like, wow, she really did, like, have something for him. And you do feel the chemistry between them. I think both of of them do a great job acting in this episode because, like, their connection with classical music and I think their, like, leadership styles are, like, weirdly... There's something going on with that. And I think um, a lot of interesting romances start, like, enemies to lovers, you know? And (laughs) so I think they were, like, maybe going that direction or Janeway wanted him to think they were going that direction and I was thinking that as well that maybe she's just so lonely any action she can get is good enough, you know. I think he feels the same way about her. I think he feels that chemistry too because at the end of the episode when it's all revealed and she says if you had not been a fascist really we could have taken you home with us Mm -hmm. and he's like you know it's still a tempting offer like he's still... It's not enough to make him not a Nazi, but um, (laughs) yeah, I just thought that was interesting that maybe he's regretful. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't think it's like sad or bad or desperate. I think it's like very understandable. And and it wasn't, it's not like she shouldn't have done that because he was a bad guy. It's, and also it's because, you know, she hasn't been able to have a relationship with anyone because everyone that she lives with works for her. Yeah, literally. So, yeah, it's a challenging situation, but I think that the way that it's handled in this episode is kind of the right amount. You know, it kind of feels like a bit of like a Spy Games, James Bond type situation. Like, is this person a double agent or not?
0: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like Ocean's Eleven or heist movies, you know, where <laughs> yeah. you think that's the answer and then boom, like Jane Janeway, you know, she's got it figured out. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was also really happy that she didn't sort of use her quote unquote feminine wiles to like woo him either. And it wasn't this sort of like... Oh, I have to get sexy to like appeal to that side of him, or like, you know. I mean, I just feel like so much of female narrative is just like them taking their clothes off to manipulate someone, or sort of the femme fatale uh, trope, which is a lot of what 709 falls into unfortunately and there's a lot of women who sort of do fulfill that but i think jane way is just not that kind of figure and it's really refreshing to me particularly because she's an authoritative figure and so it's really awesome that she's not you know having to sort of do this sort of sexual dance thing with him and it's true in a lot of episodes like i'm thinking about uh when they're put in that like horrible game by i think it's the erosion where they're like in holodecks having to play all these killing games and she's just like in a white suit you know it's not like she's in this like seven of nine sexy dress or something and she's still badass and like carrying a gun and like running this whole underground resistance and so i just think it's really awesome that they didn't go that direction for janeway because it just for me, I think would feel out of character and bizarre for her to, like, try to come on to people in that way. And instead, like, she does create these genuine connections with people. And honestly, Janeway's so easy to get along with, I feel like. I feel like she'd be so fun to chat with and hang out that, like, no wonder this fascist guy falls in love with her, like, a little bit, you know? I think that, too, they have such similar minds and a lot of similar, like, ways in which they go about, like Ashlyn said, the leadership, but also just... The ways in which they figured out where the wormhole was going to be next was really cool. Like they were listening to the music and then realized, like, oh my gosh, music has its own properties. Maybe if we use that, and so it was really cool to see. Sort of, they had were kind of like minded in these interesting ways, but it still, Jane. Was never compromised because of her feelings or didn't sort of use her body in that way and I just think that's really refreshing because a lot of women are kind of forced to do that or said that that's like your most powerful asset is your body and I'm like no actually it doesn't have to be if that's not what you feel like doing. Yeah well we know that if like she it's not like she doesn't have that side too because I think you know so often women are supposed to have, like, oh, she's just going to wear, like, a suit, you know, but, like, if she, yeah. like, when we see her on the planet with Chakotay in, um, uh, what is that?
1: Resolutions. Yeah, in Resolutions. Yes. We see mm-hmm. that she
0: does have that, like, extremely feminine side where she's, like, mm-hmm. wearing her dress and she looks so yeah. cute and so... The bathtub. Oh, <laughs> God. Yeah, don't even... <laughs> So yeah, I just I love that she's not limited, and I think that's, you know, i still progressive despite how this is like a 90s show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been so amazing to talk about Janeway. I think these are some really interesting episodes to talk about and not ones that are brought up all the time as much as I wished I could have watched Year of Hell or <laughs> anything else for this. So I really appreciate both of you talking about Janeway and really bringing up some interesting points yeah seriously this has been so wonderful and um we want to thank you and the team at women at warp for all you do like seriously you're such a huge inspiration to us and just how like seeing other female podcasters talking about Trek and getting to talk with all of these awesome podcasters. We had Where's Beverly on a couple weeks ago, and they were wonderful. And Jara, you're so wonderful, and we just love to have a strong women community here talking about all of these wonderful female characters in Trek. So thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks so much. It was my pleasure. It is just so
0: awesome to have you on, and we are just delighted to have you in this discussion
1: today. (laughs) Aw, thank you so much.
0: It was so wonderful having Jarrah on as a guest. Truly, I feel like I learned so much about Janeway when I thought I already knew everything about her. So thank you, Jarrah, for opening our minds to this amazing character. And now... We're going to move on to another character in Voyager who did not last all seven seasons, but who made a good run of it, and that is, of course, Kes, the nine year old Ocampa. (laughs) She's not nine year old, but (laughs) she is in Before After, which was one of the episodes we watched. Yeah, it depends on what year we're talking about in Voyager, because (laughs) Ocampa's have a very short lifespan. It's only like nine or ten years, honestly. Nine years. Yeah. Oh, nine years, yeah. We talked a lot about Kess on our was it Love and Affection? Love and affection. Yeah. And time travel. Yeah. I mean Kess is a Kess is an interesting character. We talked about her so much because the relationship with her and Elix to me is like weird because she's so young, but also like, I know like species develop differently and Mm -hmm. I just have to like get used to this alien wokeness, you know? Yeah. (laughs) But also it's like understandable to feel uncomfortable. And I think that honestly, this is sort of where the writers were going when they wrote an episode like before and after where she's married to Tom Paris in this other timeline. So clearly they were like, we're going to just nix that. That relationship for this episode and see how she would work with another character and that was super interesting. Uh, there are a couple good episodes with Kes and the ones that we decided to watch were before and after and then also Tattoo but just the Kes parts, not the like questionable Chicote parts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, the, the white savior Chicote parts. Big yikes. Yeah. Also, my headphones are popping so I'm going That's okay. to... I think just do the Apple headphones. Yeah. It's popping and it's not. She popping. My brain's not popping. Okay. Hello. Hi. Okay. So we were talking about Kes and. Yeah. So we only talked about the Kes parts of this episode where. uh, Well, shall we get into it? Yeah. Let's do it. And, you know, just a brief background on Kes. Like, we've known her since the beginning of the show. She was, in fact, (laughs) like a, a major part in the reason why Janeway chose to keep Voyager in the Delta Quadrant was mm-hmm. because uh, they were trying to save her species, the yeah. Okompans. So she's a character that boards the ship with Neelix and and she's brought on as a love interest primarily. And I thought she really started adding to the show when she has these great moments with the Doctor throughout yes. because, I mean, it's it's really interesting because we are going to talk about the Doctor a lot in this episode. Because he often has female companions that he hangs out with. And one of them is Kes Mm -hmm. in the beginning. And then when Kes leaves, of course, it's Seven. But in these early seasons, it is interesting because the Doctor doesn't have his mobile emitter. And so he can't just roam around the ship. So if Voyager is in trouble and needs a medic, they're going to call Kes. Later, Tom is going to be trained uh, to be with Mm -hmm. the Doctor. So, uh, yeah, it's just an interesting dynamic. But I'm glad that being an assistant to the Doctor really helped Kes blossom in her character because we got to see a side of her that wasn't just like the weird cuddly Neelix part you know yes and she got to be away from Neelix she got to experience different cultures and really explore herself I mean she at some points has like telekinetic abilities, she has psychic abilities, she has these sort of like hidden powers that come out when the plot is convenient sort of but also just to add to her character these layers and so she's very like powerful but also so like modest about it that I wouldn't you know like think of the more powerful characters, I wouldn't think of Kess. but now that you know we're talking about her I'm like oh yeah she definitely would be up there with some of our more like powerful species but she just doesn't really get enough time with the writers I feel like and this is where her character um just doesn't connect for me and never really has is I've never been a huge fan of Kess I think because half the time she was a love interest and the other half she wasn't there you know and if she was we get a couple of these shining episodes and then we get some lousy ones later on where she comes back and she's evil and it's just uh. like it just ruins I feel like her what her character stood for and the sacrifice she made for the crew. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And my journey with Kes has been similar to yours, Rihanna. I really viewed her as like attached to Neelix for a long time. And then by the time she actually started getting good, like in season four, right. Is when was her last season or three. Yeah. Um, end of four is when seven comes. Yeah. So like, yeah, four, um, I did start liking her towards the end, but she's someone who actually reminds me a lot of like a Jean Grey type of character from the X-Men. Rihanna, you brought up how she's someone who is like very sweet and nice and you wouldn't suspect to be so powerful. And I really feel that about Jean Grey. Ashlyn, I'm so glad you brought that up. I had never thought of that. Like she's just sort of a healer, same with Kess. And I feel like healers, sorry, there's (laughs) my neighbors upstairs are a little loud. Um, I feel like with healers, they don't often get to be powerful because they have to be gentle and nurturing. Because I think too about like Katara from Avatar The Last Airbender, like she got to bridge that gap between being a healer, but also being like a badass warrior, you know, and she saved their neck most of the time. And so it's unfortunate that we don't get to experience that more in Star Trek, because I think we could benefit a lot from a character who is a doctor or a healer type presence who also gets to be featured in all of these really badass moments. And Kest was almost there, I feel like. Yeah, I think so. And you really see it in the episodes where they where the plot does need her, because you see her like in touch with people who are not even in like the same frame of space. That's a really like insane thing to do. And actually now that I'm thinking about it more, it's also kind of like what they did with Wesley where they had a character develop like really impressive powers, but they were very innocent and kind of unassuming. So yeah, I think on paper, Kes is really cool, you know? But those first couple seasons with her and Neelix are just so toxic to me that whenever I rewatch Voyager, of course, my view of her gets softer and softer. And of course, watching these episodes through a feminist lens really makes me appreciate her more and makes me long for any kind of development to happen. So, and then, you know, I keep making parallels with TNG because it's hard not to with Voyager. Um, but I'm also thinking about Yar, kind of the same equivalent yeah. where Yar got an amazing episode to come back in yesterday's Enterprise. And Cass's return is just so terrible. We didn't even want to talk about it, even though it's a Cass yeah. episode. Like, Rand and I did not even bring it up. <laughs> We literally, because we know, like, that does not accurately represent who Kess was as a character. Yeah. And, you know, I did a little bit of research as to why Kess left the show. Hmm. Um, and they, both Berman and Taylor decided that her character was uh, not properly developed enough, and, and Brendan braga said it was quote a failure of imagination on the writer's part thank you i was gonna say whose fault is that that the (laughs) characters not (laughs) developed like dang it didn't happen on its own you know and so i think it was literally just them being like we have nowhere to go with this character and so they brought on someone more sexy and intriguing i guess as seven of nine Uh. that's always my annoy annoyance in media my annoyance in media is when like They have one female character just like replace the other like a Judzia Ezri situation where it's like it's obvious that they're trying to fill that void of the last character, but I mean I think here is successful because 709 is far more beloved than Kes I feel like overall. Um, But I think that the show could have really benefited from having both Kes and Seven. Could Could you imagine if, like, Kes was counseling Seven on her, like, feelings and emotions? Like, she's far more in touch than the Doctor is. You know, the Doctor gives her all these lessons, but I don't know. I feel like someone so emotionally in tune could be really helpful for Seven. And, like, she gets that from Janeway, but Janeway also has to be this sort of a leader and... She's more of a, like, mother figure for Seven. So, anyway, I just think that would have been such a cool opportunity that they just decided not to do. See, the rule, Rihanna, is that if you have a female captain, you can't have too many side characters who are female. God (laughs) forbid forbid. that they have four female characters backing up the bridge crew. Like, no, that's not allowed. Like, Troy was stretching it. And Yar, you know, it's too many females. Well, and do you also notice when you're watching Voyager that every time they're on the bridge, it's only Janeway as the female yeah, representative? I know. Like, yeah. Taurus is put down an engineer. Seven is, like, hardly ever on the bridge. She's, she's an fixing astrometrics. Something. Which is cool. Like, Like, the astrometrics lab is sick. But it's, like, when you have that amazing shot, you know, when you're fighting an enemy and then they, like, flash and show you the whole bridge and how everyone's, like, falling out of their chairs. Like, we never see seven. Yeah, Yeah, and, like, Cass only comes up when she's useful to them. So it's just, like, irritating because it's – Exactly what you're saying, Ashton. Like we have a woman captain, that's good enough. We don't need any more women on the bridge. You know, they can still be a part of it, but they have to be down on the bowels of the ship. And I feel like we we should have replaced like Seven and Harry. You know, (laughs) get Harry off the bridge, (laughs) or have him move over. Like there's plenty of space. Yeah, you know, there's plenty of space and. We're gonna talk about this later on, but Belana actually gets to be on the bridge for one of these episodes, and it is so refreshing to have her up there. Like, I absolutely love it, and because it's kind of the same feeling I have when Scotty gets to be on the bridge, you know, or Jordy. You're like, this is great. Like, this brings a whole new dynamic that is so helpful. We never feel that so. way about McCoy, because he just, like, kind of saunders <laughs> on when he wants, and it's never like, oh, oh really? he's gonna heal. Like, no. <laughs> You're just like, oh, he's gonna, like, flirt with Kirk and Spock. Okay. <laughs> You're so right. The only time he goes up to heal, he accidentally injects himself. So. Literally. Or, like, sue as a seizure. Like, or check yeah. off screams. That's it. Yeah. Hilarious. Oh, anyway, well, we interrupt yeah. this TOS podcast to bring you back to yeah. the Voyager A-T-N-G Feminism. Podcast. Yeah. I mean, but I don't know. Thank you I for your comparisons. Yeah, yeah, well, and I think it's important to think about these comparisons because a lot of this has already been done. And this is, like, why Voyager is, like, an amazing, fantastic show, but I have a hard time m- measuring it up to TNG because TNG came first. And so many things yeah. are repetitive in Voyager. So it, mm-hmm. the, I mean, it's true. And one of the biggest things is the view that they have on women, which is that mm-hmm. if one goes, you have to literally replace them as like almost the same character or like a character that fits in the same slot as yeah. them. It's another companion with a doctor, you, you know, mm-hmm. like I talked about earlier. Oh, so totally. I well, and, Yeah. I mean, the one thing I did like is that Seven didn't become like the next doctor in training or something and that Tom Paris took on that role because that was a really fun reversal I wasn't expecting. But still, Seven is constantly with the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, and again, we have later to talk about Seven. I'm already... Yeah. Th- these thoughts are spiraling. <laughs> um, but I will say that my very favorite cast episode is Before and After. We finally get to see what Jennifer Lean can do. And something that sh- that the writers have been depriving her of this entire show. Because I believe this is in season four. This um, is uh, season... Three actually. Oh, season three. Okay, but toward you know, towards the end of her run, mm-hmm. uh, we get some foreshadowings of Year of Hell, which is to come later in the series. I mean, we we've already talked about this episode on the pod before, but essentially, like Kess starts very old, and then she starts aging backward in time, and it's because it's a Benjamin of Benjamin Button situation. It, yes, that's yeah, <laughs> that's all you need to say. And I really feel like um, we got to see how. Uh, like tenacious Cass is in this episode because she starts off as an older woman and, or older Okampa, and people are assuming she just is not remembering what's going on because she has no idea what her surroundings are because aging backwards is really confusing.
1: (laughs) And uh,
0: everyone is kind of ages towards her and just assumes like, oh, grandma's getting old, you know. yeah Uh, But really, she's trapped in this extremely desperate situation. And so it's another once again TNG type we don't believe women episode. I um, was thinking that too. Yeah and uh, but I think yeah it's just interesting to see because when she's finally like back to her normal age everyone's like oh Cass how you doing and like let's work off the clock to try to save you. Yeah exactly. Yeah. That's something that I admire so much about her in this episode is the fact that she does not give up and she just keeps explaining to the next iteration of the crew like mm-hmm. this is what's happening and she takes charge as well like she does a lot of her own research she also goes into uh like the uh, the jeffrey's tube to get the uh, temporal variance she risks her life to get it for a year of hell like literally they would not have succeeded if it weren't for kiss yes and, and... no one talks about that yeah no one talks <laughs> about that but it's this crazy like prequel to year of hell. It's such a good episode. And so she risks herself so many times in all these different timelines. Well, also she sees Janeway and Bellana die in front of her. Like she's the one to pronounce them dead. And then she's also seeing Tom grieve. And like, she knows that they have this like relationship later on and she heard him talk about how hard it was to like see Bellana go. And, oh man, it's just so incredible to see how Kes like she like keeps her game face on you know she's like the entire time ready to just keep trying and keep trusting her crew too and this is something that is universally amazing about voyager is how they do like work really hard to trust each other and i think you're absolutely right that in the beginning it is very ageist like the way they're treating her it's oh it's not good yeah absolutely that was really beautifully said rihanna i loved all of that and I feel like this is the, you know, the Yar returning episode that we never really got for Kes. Because yeah. we get to see some sense of what the future would be like if she had stayed on. And, of course, it's it's really jarring to watch this when you've seen the whole show because you see Year of sure. Hell and Kes there and you're like, this is wrong. Yeah. It's, it's similar to, and later we'll talk about Seven in Relativity, where you see Seven yes. at the beginning of the pilot, and you're like, this is so wrong. Yeah. They, yeah, none of this gels. Something that Kess does really add to the show is humility for the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I think because of these two amazing women, it really helps to guide the doctor along this path. And I really didn't want to talk about this femin- feminism episode and include the doctor at all because yeah. he's like not, he does not drink his juice. He's, no, he is the anti-feminist. Yeah. If you will. Yeah, exactly. And he really, uh, like, I know his uh, behavior patterns are based off of the real. Um, Zimmerman. Yeah. What, what's his first name? Um, um, I want to say Howard. I don't think it's Howard. Rob, uh, Robert Picardo. <laughs> Lewis. Dr. Lewis Ah, uh, yeah, Lewis, yeah. So we know that his behavior patterns are based off of Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, and he's just like a terrible person. So I guess we're seeing that Zimmerman is like the anti-feminist. Yeah, um, I guess that's a misogynist. <laughs> oh, you're right. <laughs> Let's wait. Wait to say it like it is, Rihanna. <laughs> yeah, that's the anti-feminist. <laughs> but uh, I, I think Cass. I mean, and again, I feel like this is a role that women get put into a lot. Is someone mm-hmm. who has to shape a man into becoming like, Ugh. uh, like respectful, you know, or shape a man into into something that I don't know, yeah, yeah just, or just like, like has teach a thought, him, yeah, t- yeah, teach him like things that see should be obvious about how to treat people, you know, like seven of nine. Oh, we can't get ahead of, but I'll say yeah. I'll do a Kess example. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like in this episode, Tattoo, where the doctor. Is just being a dick. <laughs> Can I say that here? He's being awful. He's being to... a, a Kirk's Wee Wee. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Ashley. He's being a Kirk's Wee Wee. <laughs> and um, and being just like insensitive to Samantha Wildman, who is pregnant, and she is having this like crazy spine pain and it goes all the way down her shooting pain, down her legs. And the doctor says, Alright, well, this, the baby is sitting on this nerve, so, uh, the you can go nerve. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, you can go back to your station, and Kes is kind of like, whoa, whoa, hang on, like, we should see, is there, like, an alternative, is there a painkiller, like, anything to help her get through the day, um, because she says sitting makes her really uncomfortable for a lot of hours, and so he's like, put your feet up at your station, and that should, that's all you can do. And he said, that's just like what it is to be pregnant. And I think this is just, I think the full line is like, um, pregnancy causes a lot of um, discomforts. You're just going to have to learn to live with them. Yes. Thank you, Ashlyn. So this is just such a common notion. um, That's frustrating to me because like, sure, pregnancy is going to be uncomfortable sometimes. I understand that. But if someone's in pain and At work (laughs) like that's ridiculous they should not have to be working while they're in such pain and Cass even offers hey why doesn't she take a sick sick day or like take some time off Um, and the doctor is pretty much like that's not necessary you can still get your job done and this is like such a toxic like go to work even if you're not feeling well I mean of course now please don't no one does yeah Um, but it's just you know it just invites this sort of like oh women should tough pain out because that is what they're used to and I just hate that because like I sometimes get like debilitating period cramps and I don't want to tough that out and like I don't want to live like this but like I don't want to just be told oh well that's part of being a woman live with it. Yeah I feel like Another problem I have with Kess is that she didn't punch the doctor in the face. She didn't like Will Smith Extreme him, measures. you know. <laughs> Jesus. I'm sorry. I have to make topical jokes and this episode will come out like a week after the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> True. Oh, got to oh, give Lord. like future listeners a point of reference so they know like the time we're living oh, that's in. That's what's yeah. happening right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But also congratulations to the queer and deaf actors who got awards at the Oscars. Yeah, and who were completely overshadowed by Will Smith's like yeah. let loose on Chris yeah, Rock. Yeah, and to the uh, Williams sisters. So anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> Ugh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Kes didn't punch the doctor, and she should have. Yeah, she should have, and that's what I was waiting for, but, I mean, this is the thing, is she is very timid, and, again, she's exactly what Rick Berman always has dreamed of, like a timid woman who won't, like, speak her mind or challenge anyone. I'm sorry, I just really feel angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Ashlyn, you're bringing up a really important point, too. She does lecture him, but... Well, and I think honestly, though, her words do have an impact because she does lecture him. And once uh, Samantha leaves, she says, like, frankly, how dare you, like, be so insensitive when you've never experienced pain and how it makes you feel very vulnerable and lo- alone. And like, that is so important. And it really hit home for the doctor. And he was like, oh, OK, I'm going to inject myself with a 29 hour flu and a hollow flu (laughs) and so you know i mean it does make him learn his lesson and the fact that kes still like comforts him while he's sick after that she's amazing and like a far better person than i would be i think i'd be like suffer in peace like you you need to learn (laughs) like what your actions have consequences yeah absolutely um also, so basically, Kess did what Will Smith should have done. <laughs> she waited until the moment had, like, calmed down, and then she addressed yeah. him with respectful words of Literally, criticism. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this is the thing I also, I mean, I, I just, to kind of zoom out a little bit, I just can't believe how much this feminism series has, like, made me... Think about my own past so much, which I hasn't. I haven't done that in a long time with yeah. um, these podcasts, or like rarely, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think another thing I that I just spoke about that I don't like about Kes is that she isn't very confrontational. Yet yeah, sometimes she's very like positive, and she knows she's right, like we saw him before mm-hmm. and after. But even yeah. that's not confrontational. It's very like calm. Yeah, she's collected. just telling you the facts, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes. I don't like when I'm like that, you know, when Mm -hmm. I, not, not calm and like respectful. That's great. No, I know what you mean. But Mm -hmm. times where I just like let people steamroll me and I am too like anxious or stressed to speak up or to like stick up for myself. And I feel like Kess does that a lot, but what she does really well is exactly what you said, like pulling back later, talk about it. Yeah. Um, So I am glad that the doctor suffered this flu and he reminded me of every man I've ever known with a cold, (laughs) which I'm sorry to roast you men, but (laughs) I've just seen like a lot of men in my life when they have a cold, it's like the end of the world. And I'm like, bro, like, I I just feel like women in general, and I, I don't think this is offensive. I just, I, you know, I'm, I'm just saying what I Mm -hmm. stating what I see is that women, like, suffer through so much pain all the time, whether it be physical pain or emotional pain, Mm -hmm. monthly. I just saw a post that was like, I love the one week a month where I'm not ovulating, PMSing, or menstruating. Yes, that is the golden week. you got to get everything done in that week. (laughs) Exactly. And so you have, yeah, there's so many things going on, even when your, like, period is regulated, not to mention when you're a teenager and going through it. So, like, from a young age, we've been going through a lot of stuff, and um, Mm -hmm. I just laugh when I see the doctor sick because he's, like, losing his mind. (laughs) Literally, I mean, have you seen that study that, like, period cramps can be as painful as heart attacks? Just, like, cool having my monthly heart attack, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? And so I think, yeah, this is the other fact that like the doctor was criticized or not criticizing, but being very snappish with Samantha. She is a pregnant woman. Like she is, and her husband is not even on Voyager. Like she's going through so much physical and emotional pain and stress and he treats her that way. I'm so glad that Kes spoke up and Ashlyn, I'm really glad you shared like your feelings about that. Cause I think a lot of times, I also dislike the characters that I'm similar to, like with Troy, we talked about in our TNG episode, and so anyway, I just appreciate your thoughts. Well, I think now we should talk about the person who always hates people like her, and that's Balana, because in the episode Faces, she gets split in two and oh, literally yes. is at war with herself. <laughs> This is a literal scenario, guys. Yeah, like this is true facts. <laughs> it's also uh so Velada Taurus is someone who I think also I've grown a lot on. Um, or mm. she's grown on me. There you go, yeah. <laughs> I think that she's grown on me a lot as a character because initially I was also in the camp of like she's so angry all the time, I cannot relate to her. Like that's not how I emote. I like angry cry like I just cry when I get angry so like I'm not gonna be yelling and all of that stuff but I think like I don't know it's it's really hard to current it's really hard to come to terms with like anger when you're a woman and like I'm only speaking from my like white woman's perspective but like even just knowing like that there's a time and place when you shouldn't be angry or like it's not as advisable to be And you have to keep your calm, that's gotta like be really or it's just like really difficult, you know, to because women's anger gets so like stilted into this, like, she's hysterical, she's dramatic, you know, all this the amount of times I've been called dramatic is just ridiculous. So I think it's just like important to remember about Belana and something that I've really grown to respect is that she is like able to let her anger out. And yeah, sometimes it's not in the best situations, but it's something that, like, also helps her a lot. Like, we were talking about in Faces, like, she needs both of her sides. And I think that's so important. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think Faces is such an important episode for Balana. The thing that shocks me in retrospect is that it is in season one. And so yeah. I, like, I'm so pissed at my little middle school, I guess we were probably in high school by the time we were watching Voyager, like, Mm -hmm. so pissed at my high school self for not remembering this fantastic episode because this is essential to understanding Belong Taurus. We have seen her acting like just wild and subordinate and like doing her own thing in season one. And halfway through the season, we get this beautiful episode that explains who she is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also think it really plants the seeds for her and Tom's relationship because they are trapped together down with the phage scientists and mm-hmm. um, she's being, her Klingon half is being experimented on and Tom is having this really serious heart to heart with her. And B'Elanna is not someone who just has a heart to heart with anyone. No, like no. I think Chakotay and Tom are the only people she would ever do that with. Like totally, maybe a, like a 1% with Janeway, but yeah. <laughs> like yeah in a pinch yeah yeah if they're like stranded if they have like a malcolm and trip episode where they're like freezing in a shellcraft, they definitely would open up to each other but true yeah so sadly in voyager we don't have a lot of those like stranded enemy or because they're already stranded yeah exactly they don't need more stranded they don't need more except janeway and chakotay okay anyway (laughs) back on track um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I yeah, so I just thought that that it, oh oh yeah, so I have wrote down a, a great quote um, that Tom says to her because uh, she is freaking out. Her human half self is really in chaos because she uh, saw one of her crew members taken by the face scientist. And her hands were shaking and her heart was beating. And I would have said if I was Tom, welcome to having anxiety. Yeah. Because I I think when you're like that Klingon half of her clearly like is so fierce that like she's not anxious about anything, which is Mm -hmm. like, what is that like? You know, (laughs) that is a different species than me. I don't um, know that, yeah. But so she's, like, so stressed about, like, I can't believe I'm a coward, you know? Like, my human half is just a total wimp. And Tom Paris says to her, courage doesn't mean you don't have fear. It means that you found the strength to overcome it. And oh, so I, I just, mm, again, like, I don't I don't want to talk too much about these men, but I, I really think that, like, Tom, I didn't say he drinks his respect women juice in the beginning for a reason, because he doesn't. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> damn, he does respect Balana. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He made a special respect Balata juice that he drinks. <laughs> uh. Actually, never mind. <laughs> I hate that. I don't think that's appropriate for our listeners Rhea. <laughs> no, oh god. Gross. Um. Okay. <laughs> so, back on track here. Um I have a, a um, thought experiment, though, for you, Ashlyn. Oh, God, okay. Not a big one, but, like, what if Belana her human half and her Klingon half, when they're together, like, normal, do you think that, like, her anger and her Klingon side is to, like, not expose her anxiety? Like, do you think it's more of a defense mechanism, or do you think it's because her Klingon side is, like, so brave that she's not afraid of anything. I think it's both. Is that like cheating? No. <laughs> I Yeah, I think it's both. I think she, of course, like everyone has anxiety to some extent. You know, we all mm-hmm. worry about things. We're all nervous about things. Mm-hmm. And I think her Klingon half that we see, like when, she, when they are separated, is very headstrong and doesn't think too much in the future. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that is kind of a great solution to anxiety you know is don't think too much about what yeah. you're doing and just go for it and it's yeah. all gonna be fine you know having so that blind true. faith is such mm-hmm. a I feel like a Klingon trait too yeah um, not that they aren't in, like unintelligent for looking for it or anything like that yeah. but nice. they're so driven to live in the moment mm-hmm. and that moment is so important um so I feel like that that is like a subconscious trait of Balanas, and maybe a. Uh, a method for her to be able to function. Yeah. Wow. Ashley, that's a beautiful answer. Thanks. I've been thinking so much about Balana because of these episodes yeah. and She's I, incredible. I I I don't like you said earlier, I don't really relate with her because I don't have that same anger mm-hmm. that she displays throughout the show, but I do share that toughness with her that because something we see throughout all of these episodes is that if she's in pain like when they're um what's that okay wait Rihanna what are the episodes that we watch for B'Elanna let's just take a pause yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're like let's get into this thought experiment (laughs) god nerd I know I know I I, like you guys couldn't see but I like pretended to push up my glasses for that Um, So we watched Faces, of course, and then we watched Dreadnought in season two, and then we watched Juggernaut in episode season five, so not confusing at all. And not intentional either. (laughs) Uh And not any of those puns either.
1: Mm.
0: (laughs) You know, that pun was so bad, I like (laughs) disassociated, but... I also like reassociated in Elden Ring because this mm-hmm. is a quick side note, and then we'll get right back yeah. to Voyager. <laughs> um, Danny and I have been super obsessed with Elden Ring that just came out in the PS5 like a month mm-hmm. ago, and um, <laughs> last night I was watching him play, and he saw a guy who was like mining in the rocks, but he was like facing the rocks. He was mining very seriously, and Danny was like, "What's that guy doing?" And I said, oh, he's minding his own business. And, like, my (laughs) husband, he did not talk to me for, like, 20 minutes. He was like, go away. (laughs) Ashley, that's a great pun. Well done. I've been thinking about it. So now that I have this, like, important platform to talk about feminism, I thought I would share my dumb pun joke. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Okay, well, back to Balana. So Juggernaut was what I was going to talk about next. So just jumping a little bit ahead. So they're they're back with this species that we just talked about. This um, is crazy. With Janeway, yeah, yeah. it's um, the same species that was like dumping their toxic waste in the void. I think it's the Devar. They're like, there's a ship that is in distress, and um, and they they keep saying like all these like mi- I don't they're not miners. <laughs> I'm thinking about miners. These like toxic waste trash dudes. Um, yeah. they swear, like some of them swear that there's like a ghost on the ship
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: um, everything is super radioactive. And so it's like an extremely dangerous operation. And yeah. the Voyager is just so nice that they're going to stop and help. Um, well, they're, they're not just nice. They also want to survive the blast of this explosion. Oh, I forgot about the blast. Sometimes I get too, like, caught up in the details. Of course, yeah. (laughs) Because something's wrong with the ship, and that's why. Yeah, so they're going to try to fix it, exactly. And, of course, you need Bolana on this mission. Uh, You also have Chakotay uh, and Neelix, which is a really, like, interesting combo on this ship. Um, But throughout this episode, Bolana has been kind of, like, losing it with her anger, and she's been like co- like throwing tantrums all over the ship yeah. um the, it, the episode starts with chakotay telling her like dude you have gotta chill yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i you're my friend but like this isn't cool yeah um and so there comes a time on the away mission where chakotay is injured and he was the leader of the group he has too much radiation exposure exposure so he goes back on voyager mm-hmm. and, and the he almost is- gets sucked out of airlock yeah, Chakotay goes through a lot. Like, yeah, yeah talk about, like, unseen trauma, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Poor guy. Literally. And so, uh, Balana is in charge of the mission. And once Chakotay is recovered, or or is it, I think it's Tuvok? Um, oh, no, no, it is Chakotay. Because Chakotay. Chakotay's like, I'm ready to go back. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she can't be in charge anymore. And Jane Wee's like, hell no because if oh, I It was Tuvok. It was Tuvok. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think both situations happen. Like yeah. Tuvok's like I am the leading officer and yeah. Torres's behavior has been like totally like wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. she's she's she can't handle this mission because she's so angry. Also, mm-hmm. Polana has been doing the therapy with Tuvok like yes. even though he's not a therapist and he's just a Vulcan no, and just, just like meditating. used for yeah. his <laughs> skills. I uh, know you're like, hey, you're good at, you're good at suppressing – or not suppressing. You're good at uh, controlling your anger. Help the lot out. <laughs> yeah, it's like Tuvok mandated therapy, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but so anyway, so he's been in her mind, and he knows, like, it's a chaotic place in there, so I don't know if mm-hmm. she can handle this. But back to my point, that was, like, 30 minutes ago. She handles so much pain when she is on the ship, not because she, like, cares about the Debar – Or Mm -hmm. even that she's, like, obviously she wants to save Voyager, and that is, like, one of her Mm -hmm. driving forces, but also I think it's her, like, strength and competitive nature to succeed is driving her as well, and she knows, like, she's the type of person who does the best that she can when she wants to. (laughs) Yes, that's so true, and when, like, the cause is right kind of thing, and that's very Klingon as well. You Absolutely. Know? And I do like that about her, how she, like, points herself at a direction and says, like, go, I'm going to go do this. And she just does it. And, like, she's irradiated in this episode at one point. Like, she, she's like, you're nearly going to die if you stay here. And she's just like, let's keep going, let's keep going. So I'm like, here we are again with these characters who have no self-preservation. Like, this is such a Starfleet, <laughs> like... <laughs> oh my gosh it's such a like thing that so many Starfleet uh, officers possess and like Maki members as well and so it's just wild to see this but that does help her to like move forward you know but she doesn't even just dislike the divar. she actively hates them because they're dumping toxic waste to all these species we saw the one in the void um they're and, terrible no one yeah. likes the Divar. Yeah, and so I think that she also has to really come to terms with her own hatred towards them and learn their story, and I really like that she's kind of left with the main guy. I don't know his name. What'd you call him earlier? Trash dude. <laughs> or waste dudes. <laughs> waste management dudes. Toxic waste dudes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so she's with toxic waste dude number one, Uh huh. and... Um, And it's just really it's important because they have this conversation about his like wife and daughter and he's like an artist the rest of the year but he works these horrible conditions um, so that he can go home and bring them a lot of money back and then they talk about the people who work at the core who are like four out of five die in the core, and so it's just this like these horrible conditions horrible job with really good pay It's sounds so, like really humane conditions rihanna yeah like really great because human i'm uh, like oh, it yeah. sounds kind of like mm-hmm. earth yeah. no it's true i think and this is probably what voyager is getting at you know and what the writers are mm-hmm. trying to tell us um and so it's so it it shines the light on the situation and on his perspective. And that gives a pause, you know, she's kind of like, Oh my God, I need to rethink um, where I direct my hate and why. Because even when she's remembering at the end of the episode where she's attacking the man who isn't the ghost, he's a real person who became like, extremely to... irradiated, but yeah, yeah, like immune to it. Yeah. Crazy. And so he's been in there trying to sabotage it. And she just like, beats him with this pipe and it's like very violent and so then afterwards she's like really thinking about that anger and she meditates on the rig it's just like really cool her transition in this episode to start confronting that anger is so important yeah absolutely and I really loved seeing just how far she'll go in this situation like the fact the scene of her meditating on the ship is really powerful because Mm -hmm. you know she's like actively trying to better herself and, like, take control of this situation because it is life or death. And um, in the episode Dreadnought... Um this is another one where we see her like crawling around in the tubes and um yeah. like risking her life. This is of course the famous Bolana torpedo she's up against her arch-nemesis. Yes. <laughs> My yeah. current name on the yeah. podcast yeah. is the Bolana torpedo. <laughs> That's what I named Rihanna in our <laughs> our recording. Yeah. <laughs> um uh this episode or th- this is another interesting one where She's not necessarily confronting her Klingon self, but she's confronting her old Maquis self. And uh, this is a torpedo that's literally like straight from her brain because it was a captured Cardassian torpedo that the Maquis took and then turned against the Cardassians. Yeah. And then it followed Voyager through the wormhole um, Mm -hmm. or through like the, I guess the caretaker caretaker. got it in his hand too. (laughs) Snatched it, yeah. He snatched this torpedo and so... Um, it is after them. And it thinks that, I mean, there's this whole, all these mind games that are played between the torpedo and Bellana, and trying to get it to open up and let her reconfigure it. I also just really appreciated in this episode, like the, just the basic fact that she is a great engineer. And we see this all the time. And for some reason, whenever people ask me, like, who's your favorite engineer? You know, who would be best in a crisis situation? I always... I, I like never think about Bolana, and I think part of it is because of her anger and I think in a lot of situations that does preclude her from participating because exactly of what Tuvok was worried about is I fear too. Yeah. is like if I had her on my crew, like we'd have to get along and she'd have to be around people who are like easy to get along with, you know, which yeah. is a lot to work with on a crew. For but sure. I'm, I'm definitely not doing her enough credit um, it, or I haven't in the past. And so watching these episodes now, really makes me reflect on that and just appreciate how smart she is and how badass she is. This is, I mean, th- another episode like Janeway where she took her jacket off and she yes. looks so amazing running around oh in that God. tank top. Those arms. I was like, can y'all stop? Like, <laughs> I, <know. Yeah. laughs> I cannot function. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think this is such an important episode for Belana too and something that Jara mentioned earlier when we were talking about Janeway about how good Voyager is at body horror I think as well the just like psychological horror aspect of this episode is so good and I really like the fact that the dreadnoughts uh the missile is programmed to her voice and so it's literally her talking to herself and I just I don't know. I think that this type of introspection is really important for Belana, especially with looking into the past and seeing like, wow, I was prepared to destroy these Cardassians at any cost. And now it could get this whole colony killed on this moon. And so, um, it's just like, she thought the torpedo was done or she thought the, uh, it's a self self-guided tactical missile. <laughs> um, she thought that it was just like gone into the void or a wormhole or something. Um, because she sent it off without Chakotay's permission when she reprogrammed it and everything. She spent weeks reprogramming it too. Like this was a very thoughtful, careful operation. And she sent it to go find Cardassians. um, And then of course she has to face it again. And so it's just really cool. I think like, oh, oh, I also think it's really cool that she reprogrammed it to warn Federation ships to stay away you know, in her own voice and stuff. So it shows, like, her, you know, she's not ready to just kill anyone. And this is why she's working so hard to protect this colony who could get destroyed. Absolutely. And it makes me think about your brain quiz earlier. Yeah. Um, Because now I'm kind of thinking, like, at least Bolana's old self was guided almost exclusively by fear and not yeah. anger, because she found this maquis cause, and she said, oh, I'm gonna stick over the, like, childhood trauma that I have, and pretend, and like di- and direct all my anger at the Cardassians, wow, because she so sees true. a cause that she's drawn to, so why not give it everything that she's got? You're welcome for the engineering reference. Wow. <laughs> oh, yes, thank you, Ashley. But, um, so I think that in this episode, she's facing literally something that her extreme fear, fue- like, fueled. Um, wow. and it's So true. It's a good reminder to everyone that, like, the things that you put, that the things that you give power to, whether it's, like, actual electrical missile power or, yeah. like, like thought and action towards are, like, things that are, you're putting out into the world and you, you almost always get it right back. And so yeah. when Bellana is putting out this like deadly fear that that's what, I mean, that's what she's getting back is like this deadly yeah. torpedo, like right back in her face. And so I, I do, I think this is only season two also. Um, it's this still pretty is, early on. Um, yeah. Two episodes, 17. Yeah. two seventeen. So, um, I feel like, we we have enough distance from the beginning of the series that we can really appreciate how far B'lan has come in this short time on Voyager. Wow. Ashlyn, I'm just like, thank <laughs> with how good that was. Oh, thank, you thank you so much. Um, and I think also it's important to think about the stakes in which she goes to, in order to destroy Dreadnought because she remains in the torpedo while it's headed to the colony um, Voyager is also willing to go in between and like sacrifice themselves for the colony um, and Belana, I think you're right she's so she was so fe- fueled by fear that now this guilt is like chasing her and so she feels also very like at fault which like it is and it isn't like it's not I'm not here to place blame I'm mostly here to just see like how she chooses to rectify the situation and she knows this missile like back to front you know she knows it so well that like it's just amazing to see her work and how she get, finds the Cardassian hidden file and makes them fight against each other and how she like I think also people oversee bellana's like just engineering knowledge, like you were saying, like because of her anger and I'm the same way. Like I I don't think of her first, Um, but she's just so smart. And like, she knows how to outwit this computer, outwit herself, which is just such a cool episode. And I'm so glad that we get these wonderful Bolana episodes to help us to see her growth as a character. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's a good time to mention Roxanne Dawson, Woo. is a fantastic actor and I love watching her play Balana. I think it's especially good in faces, which again it's so yeah. early in mm-hmm. Voyager, but we get to see her really shine and the way she acts as Klingon Balana is, is like so completely good. different from human Balana. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Just like some amazing acting moments with her. And throughout the show, when Voyager ends in seven, she is Almost a completely different character. Like, I don't think she does a yeah. one eighty, but she does like a, at least a ninety, and that's a that's, yeah. that's, that's a big arc for Belana. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. that's huge. Yeah. yeah, And for more, you can listen to our love and affection episode where we cover Belana later on with Tom and all of that. Oh no, yeah, she's just and she never gets reduced to only a love yes. interest either, which is Absolutely. beautiful. I love that because I think. You know, Seven of Nines arc kind of tries to follow that, and then they say, "No, no, no, never mind." So,
1: <laughs> you yeah, know, it's
0: interesting. I, I think they learned that it didn't work with Kess and yeah. if they have a character that's only known as the love interest, it just doesn't play as well because we have a captain yeah. like Janeway, and it's just mm-hmm. like it pales in comparison. Like if you have exactly. one character who's extremely developed, and the rest are like really shallow women who we don't know anything about, it's not a good show. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, someone that we we kind of know a lot about, and maybe we'll, we'll, we're will we'll going to take a little bit of a lighter turn now um, <laughs> to talk about Naomi Wildman. And I also just, as a side note, Rihanna, I'm cracking up because when Rihanna and I paced out this episode beforehand, when we were like getting ready to record, we were like, okay, we'll do like a short section and then a long and then a short yeah. and then a long. And that, that, I feel like that cast section <laughs> ended up being longer than B'Elanna's <laughs> or as long. <laughs> so I do think we will, um, you know, we, we have some good things to say about Naomi. And it, and it is important to talk about her as a character because she's a kid and we get to see her really grow up on Voyager. Yeah, I just am so happy that she was an addition to this show because I think Naomi is one of the most brilliant and thoughtful characters on this show and she is just also such a symbol of hope i think for everyone on the ship and like especially since she was saved with a parallel harry kim in that one episode i do not remember its name that was a great i think it was called parallels oh my god (laughs) i'm pretty sure yeah so that's, you know, sort of the introduction we get of Naomi. So she's kind of this like hope symbol. She gets to be way more than that as well. She gets to be a kid and she gets to be a friend to Seven of Nine, a a very helpful crew member to Janeway, you know, and so, and a friend to all of those born kids. Like she has an incredible arc in this show as well. And I also just think it's really important to talk about like girls, you know, and how, they're just as important for feminism as women are. And it's like when we're talking about Lwaxana, like we have to talk about women and and girls of every age, you know, and um, they're all important to the conversation. And so Naomi is just like a wonderful child and she's just so cool. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that, Rihanna. I think, and here we go again, Ashlyn. I know you guys are all sick of me comparing this to TNG, but I feel <laughs> like this is like a better way to do Alexander. Maybe not better, oh, but like a different yeah. way of including a child on the ship that is charming. I mean, like Jake rocked. Jake was a little bit older yes. in DS9, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like Naomi. Like the fact that we get to see her like truly grow up from being an infant really makes you connect with her. And uh, I just, again, I also love your point about how important it is to showcase women of all ages because like, you know, age, like like older, older people are often left out of the conversation and children mm-hmm. are absolutely left out Always. of the conversation yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to give a voice to children because they have something important to contribute. In the case yes. of someone like Naomi, she is like an incredibly valuable member of the crew, not only because she is like very like adorable and sweet and we've known her her whole life, but also because she's really smart. She's really sensitive to other people's emotions and she's really observant. Um, and she's just like a pure light on the crew and anyone who interacts with her are happy, you know? Yes. Thank you, Ashlyn. We're going to talk briefly about the moment in Dark Frontier part one where it's just one small scene in the beginning but uh, it's essentially Seven of Nine has gone missing, she has been captured by the Borg Queen and Naomi has of course become very close with her in this time. They had like one episode in the very beginning where she was like scared of Seven because Seven's very intimidating but then she got to know her and like now they're BFFs essentially especially to Naomi like she is very special to her and so Janeway's in her ready room tired thinking about how they're gonna get Seven back and Tuvok is like there's a crew member here to speak with you and she's like I don't really have time for this and then it's Naomi and she has brought a pad with her and she has this whole plan about like the deflector shield um, that like I don't know there's so- a could you remember what the of course I remember <laughs> um- <laughs> Um, yes, well, I engineer. I I really remembered the scene because it felt like this was me trying to talk to Janeway about how to repair the ship, like when if I was in Galaxy Quest, you know, where <laughs> I'm happy to be talking to a real alien. I think it's let's see, I don't know if I wrote it down. It's that can't we track Seven's chip that's in her body, like her Borg implant? Oh, um, yeah. And Janeway's like, no, because it's like really far away, so we can't grab it. And then Naomi says, well, what if we enhance the deflector dish? We can get the signal going further, and we can pull power from a non-essential source. And Janeway's like, yeah, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> like we, she, yeah. It's more complicated than that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it is, like, a, an Ashland-level response to the situation. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciated it. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, and I love that Janeway also doesn't, like, sort of laugh at her or dismiss her either she's like it is more complicated than that but like thank you for your opinion and your like work on this you know and then naomi asks her you're not gonna leave her behind are you and that's what jade weiss is the very famous quote that i love she says there are three rules when you become a captain keep your shirt tucked in go down with the ship and never abandon a member of your crew i mean that should be the prime directive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keep your shirt oh, tucked I just in. Uh, but and, and Kirk broke that a lot. So. Oh, yeah. He kept his shirt ripped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was wide open. Ripped up in every seam. <laughs> um, so she's just fabulous. Like, that response to Naomi is so comforting. And I just love that Naomi also shows the initiative. She's like, I'm going to go to the captain with this. Like, that is very amazing and I'm not surprised by it though I'm like this is a very Naomi move like she will go and work on something that she thinks is important and thinks she can contribute to and she really does contribute and I don't know it's just really important and it's a lot like Belana, you know she just jumps into a situation she says I'm gonna go figure this out if I can. Yes I totally agree I was thinking like similar to Belana, but I think she handles her fear a lot better than Belana does Mm-hmm. Because Naomi tries to control a situation when she's stressed or anxious. And so her like, yeah. plotting out these solutions to give to Janeway is mm-hmm. her way of maintaining control in this like, very out of control environment. And I really appreciate so that. Right. Like, Naomi yeah. has all the seeds for being a, like, perfect student who's going to burn out in Starfleet. Oh. In, like, the Academy, you know? Like yeah. you're so right. That's how all oh. these, like, whiz kids burn out so fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, like, yeah. but, I mean, she is aboard a ship that's, like, really, there's a lot going on on Voyager. And I don't know how Absolutely. much she really is exposed to, like, the actual trauma that's, like, happening episode to episode. But... Yeah. Um she remains to a bright light on the ship and I love her interaction with Jane Way like you were talking about. Yeah. So now let's move on to the other episode we chose for Naomi which is Infinite Regress. And this is a very like tough one for 7 of 9, but Naomi is in the first part of this episode and she has been following Seven around just to sort of like see what she's been doing, track her movements <laughs> essentially. And I love the fact that, like, of course, Seven knows. And I wonder how long she, like, humors her for. Well, it's funny because Seven can be kind of a stalker herself. And so Oh, yeah, we've, we'll have see this. Soon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and so I, I think a, a, a stalker, they, they know one another, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so true. I love that scene because yeah. I think even if you didn't know Seven, you know kids, like, or I don't know, yeah. like, I, at least I know kids that um, they're not as, like, subtle as they think they are. Totally. And so Naomi thinks she's, like, a secret agent, and then she, like, turns the corner, and Seven's just, like, standing there, <laughs> like, staring. Like, why yeah. are you following me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and honestly, I love how candid the two of them are together. I think it really helps Naomi, like you're saying, sort of deal with the fear that she has. And we, we talked about a episode in our family series of Voyager, so you should go and check it out, because that we really get into like her when her mom is missing and that whole episode but i think i would just also real quick everyone take a drink of anything near you when we reference an episode we've already done (laughs) that just is like a hard podcast rule if you're drinking water take a drink of that water (laughs) hydrate (laughs) yourself because we're going to be doing it a lot a lot (laughs) I'm sorry, i drink of my water. Yeah, I'm going to take a drink of my um, other liquids. <laughs> so they talk to each other very candidly, and it helps, I think, Naomi to navigate her fear of the unknown, because then Seven just tells her, and then she knows, <laughs> you know? So I think that it's a very great dynamic they have. And I also love how, like, proper Seven always is with Naomi. She's always like, Naomi Wildman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, calls her by her whole name, and... I just love that like she pretty much just like is fine with her asking as many questions as she wants because Seven asks as many questions as she wants. I think they are such good characters. I mean, it's I'm pretty much just saying what you're thinking is they're both people who are trying to discover themselves and Seven mm-hmm. is kind of like an 8-year-old, you know, like yeah. because she's developing her her humanity. We see in later episodes like she's eating for the first time. Like, because yeah. she's only had Borg, you know, Borg and Justin since she was six and one to grow on. Um, oh, she was assimilated. Is that why she was called seven? Oh my God, no. <gasps> when she was seven? No, that can't be <gasps> it because she's seven no. of nine. Yeah, so she's that? this seventh, she's like in the seventh row of the ninth of column. The ninth. <laughs> Well, like, there's one. nine people total in her adjunct, and she's the seventh one? <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. Anyway, mm. that's a sad headcanon. <laughs> Seven has a lot of questions that only children would ask, that, it like, it's mm-hmm. weird for an adult not to know, because she hasn't been yeah. cultured in, like, human society at all. Yeah. Um, and so Seven does a lot of weird things that are alienating to the rest of the crew, But to someone Naomi's age or like of Naomi's understanding, she's just, you know, just doesn't know and is very treated treats her very kindly. And then Naomi, being a child herself, also has these questions that it seems like everyone should know. But seven, she knows so many things. Like she's very smart about like science and stars and you know, everything that she's learned from the Borg is all packed into that brain. And so she has it's kind of like yeah, so they just have, like, different types of intelligences, but I think they complement each other so much. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's just magic to see them on screen together. That's just so correct, Ashlyn. And I, I love, too, that in the beginning of this episode, when Seven's personality changes, because this, there's this whole other plot going on, but um, they play... Coscot, yeah. Yeah, for, like, an hour together. And then at the end of the episode, once Seven's okay and everything's fine, she comes back to Naomi and says, like, teach me how to play Kada And I just, I love that about them because then it, they're forming their friendship more. Yeah, and it allows Seven to begin exploring her humanity. And, yeah. oh my God, and how, having fun. how many shows have we talked about people exploring the humanity? Baby, every time. <laughs> Spock, Data. I don't think DS9 Someone skipped one. <laughs> <laughs> but Seven is another one. I just, I just crack up because they it's not enough to have one Vulcan who speaks very, like, professionally on the crew. You need to have yeah. a second character who's also like, will you please accompany me to the yeah. mess hall? And you're like, dude. <laughs> <I> <laughs> so formal, that. yeah. It's so funny. Well, I think it's time to start heading towards the end of this amazing episode and talk about Seven of Nine. And I'm just going to say right away, so like you said, um that uh, B'Elanna has really grown on you. Seven has, I'm trying to say grow on me in like a way that makes it like match how much I love her now compared Mm -hmm. to how much I just didn't really like notice her uh, on my first run of Voyager. I think I always viewed her as kind of like Janeway's pet. Of course, like Janeway's not treating her that way, but I always felt like in the early episodes of Seven, she wasn't really like I didn't view her as someone with humanity to even have like Mm -hmm. she's just like a Borg drone and it's kind of like you know risky to have her on board for a while like we see in the Raven um, Mm -hmm. where she actually almost like begins converting back into a drone I mean this happens all the time it's really hard to separate Borgs from the collective Um, I have a lot to say about Seven but I'm just going to end this first thought by saying that the choice to have her in Picard has also deeply expanded my love for her and really made me completely reconsider her as a character. And we're not going to talk about Seven of Nine in Picard because this is about Voyager. So just yeah. so everybody knows. but Just wait for that episode. Yeah, just wait for that episode. I just did not know this about you and Seven. Yeah, I just do not really so like her. I think yeah. because I also knew that she was on there as a sex object even when mm-hmm. I was younger. It was yeah. obvious. And so I didn't respect her for it, which is so unfair <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't her often, fault. Yeah, but it is often put on women, you know, to be like, oh, why is she wearing that? When well, it's like, I mean, oh, but what are the costume department do? What are the directors doing? Yeah. Like, why doesn't Seven have a uniform? In Relativity, she does have a uniform and she yeah. looks great in it. Yes. So have her wear a Starfleet uniform all the time. It's uniform, literally. That's I mean, in the name. <laughs> Bellana failed the academy, and yet she's wearing a Starfleet uniform the entire time. So yeah. you can't make the argument like Seven's never been exactly. through Starfleet, you know. Exactly. I, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so I think I did have some of that preconception again. It's just yeah. me exploring my, my issues with women growing up. I, I really love her now, and yeah, I, I just all of these seven episodes are exceptional. Yeah, honestly, for me, like, Seven of Nine fits into, like, sort of the mold of all of my favorite characters. Tuvok is my favorite character on Voyager, and they're, like, so similar. And so I do want to briefly speak about her relationship with uh, Tuvok in this episode, but we can do that in a little bit. But anyway, yeah, I just think it's, like... Oh yeah, that tracks. I Spock and Data are like my favorite characters, like no wonder. Seven of Nine is just, I really, it's so refreshing with characters who speak plainly, especially women who just speak their minds is like the coolest thing. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I wanted to start out with The Raven by yes. asking you a question. So okay. The Raven is the first time, and I think this is like season four, we've had Seven not for very long at this mm-hmm. point, and this is the first episode that she's starting to remember who she was before she was a Borg. Mm-hmm. And again, like this is another like different perspective I've had cuz like when I watched this episode when I was younger, I didn't really understand PTSD at all yeah. and just thought like, oh, it just she's remembering now. Good for her. But yeah. when you watch it, and especially when you see it in order, you understand that, oh my gosh, there's a lot of things Like trauma takes so long to unpack and Mm -hmm. your brain can just like not even remember like things like your name or who your parents were or anything like Mm -hmm. that. And she's been a Borg drone for so long, but being amongst humans and being treated kindly and being asked to think of herself as an individual has really started to take effect on seven. And I think of course she's starting to feel back to like her old self because in the beginning of this episode don't worry the question's coming you know me i have to build it up no i love Um, (laughs) it. i'm here for it but in the beginning of this episode janeway's in the holodeck in da vinci's workshop classic by the way my favorite janeway trope is she's hanging out with da vinci um (laughs) but she uh she's showing seven like the benefits of clay and modeling clay because with so so much that happens in art you can't make something the way that you envision it and and so that's what Janeway is trying to describe to her is like it's okay just let your hands do the work Mm -hmm. and like do the best that you can and while she's like working with the clay she looks up and sees da Vinci's like plane that he's like so chill for inventing Mm -hmm. or like the you know design of like yeah the flying machine the early like earliest f plane Mm -hmm. she's like triggered because she thinks about the raven and of course the raven was the title of the ship she and her parents were assimilated on Mm -hmm. so anyway all of this to say that this is the first drone that we know of besides Hugh Mm -hmm. who has come the furthest I should say in their leaving of the collective development Yeah. yeah exactly um and so I just feel so terrible for Seven in this situation because she is going through, like, what... By the time we're in Picard, I'm sure, and they're treating mm-hmm. people who were XBs, bs ex-Borgs, um, yeah. they must have a step-by-step about how to, like, help people coming out of the collective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is none of this for Seven. And so I just I just feel terrible for her that she has to go through... All of this. So, I guess just my question to you is, how would you have treated Seven if you were in this situation? Like, if you were the doctor and Janeway who are supposed to be like, you know, watching her and guiding her so closely. Like, what? Like, did you see signs of like the PTSD growing or like I don't know? Like, how would you have reacted in this situation? I mean, I think that I would have tried to look into as much of the like Bork database as possible and get to know like if picard wrote anything about Lacutus after the effect and i don't think he did he's probably but he has personal logs so like who knows but i'm thinking like also just think about what that's like and think about like how the fact that she's still in the regeneration chamber in like a cargo bay by herself like i would not put her in a cargo bay by herself like i don't know you maybe have to have some volunteers either go and sleep down there or i don't know have like a bridge shift (laughs) of sleeping with seven uh, in the cargo bay i don't know i think that like obviously she would find it trivial and all of that stuff and she might not want that but it's another way of isolating her, and so you can't really, like, see signs of someone who's hurting if you isolate them, you know? And I'm not saying that, like, that was their intention, but it's sort of what's happening. A lot of times, it's when she's regenerating, is that, like, the board Queen reaches out to her, or she has a nightmare, or she has some scary vision, you know? Like, all of this stuff happens, and because she is not accustomed to going to anyone for help, and because she's so efficient as a... Borg drone, you know, as she still thinks of herself, that she forgets she doesn't have to be independent. And so I think it's more like, maybe have people with her a lot of the time get used to company or I don't know. Yeah, that's sort of that's my long answer. What do you think, Ashlyn? I love that. I think that's beautiful. I had never even thought about like the fact that she was alone in the cargo bay. The thing I will like, go against you a little bit is that change is so hard and takes so long. And so I think initially when Seven came on board, that cargo bay was a safe space because that's where all the other Borg were. I mean, when Seven first comes on board, it's on board. It's because they're working with the Borg. (laughs) Yeah. um, Which is like crazy. And a bunch of Borg have taken over that cargo bay. And then when she ends up staying, that's where she is. And so I think for a while, it is a place of comfort, but... By the time she's been there for a while, it absolutely is isolating. And especially because, and we don't think about it a lot because the Borg are this evil race, but they're like, I I won't say that they're all extroverts because they're all one (laughs) (laughs) mind, But they're all used to being around people like in a Borg way where you're not allowed to get tired of getting, Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to get tired of interaction, but um, it's all one in mind find and comfort in it yeah. exactly yeah and she's not afraid of the Borg and so that's why these like hallucinations and everything she's experiencing are really terrifying mm-hmm. yeah because it's like Kes says like pain also is another form of isolation and like you feel isolated when you're in pain and so I think she's just like doing you know she has this coping mechanism of isolating herself but it's not serving her or anyone else and they're not serving her in that way and so i think they're both sort of failing to see the ramifications of isolating her also just how like hard the reintegration process is and like you said there's no rule book and so i also wanted to shout out to like trailblazers who like that's very lonely you know like you are the first to do that thing and that's so isolating and scary but like thank you that's exactly what i was thinking is that she has such an important part in this story because she mm-hmm. was the first yeah, she's so amazing. I mean, yeah, because like people argue Jean-Luc, but like no, that he was only assimilated for like twenty-four hours or I something. I mean, even Hugh is like more impressive, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As an XB Um yeah. than Picard. Yeah. I also just wanna take a second just to shout out Jerry Ryan because I think especially in The Raven, and we also saw it with Infinite Regress, she just has a huge range. Yes. Um in Infinite Regress we see her portraying all of these different species, different characters who are like at extremes. Like she goes from being mm-hmm. a Ferengi to a Klingon to a human really yeah. quickly, like within even a couple of words, and it's really impressive. Yeah. But I thought even more so, in The Raven, she just really shines. It's one of the best moments I've ever seen with her because anytime she comes out of a hallucination. She is thinking about her past and she's trying to like reconcile all of this, but really she's channeling that seven year old who she was when she was assimilated. You can tell in like the tone, the breathiness of Jerry Ryan's voice that that seven is like extremely affected. And she, you know, she has this very like, sir, I'm going to the cargo bay. But then when she's like really dealing with her humanity, it's soft, it's it's warm, it's rich. It's crazy to me that like, even just in your voice, you can convey so much. So I was just really moved by that. And I was just in awe of her acting, especially in this episode. Chef kiss, I agree. That's just beautiful. Well, this is the perfect episode also to talk about Tuvok's relationship with Seven. Once again, I'm trying not to make this all, we're not trying to make this a podcast about men, but also Tuvok is so important. Well, and, I mean, like we talk about, men are important to the picture. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we're not alone on a a female planet, so. Exactly. (laughs) And Tuvok is chugging that juice, so, like, he's here to support Seven, and I think he plays such a beautiful role in this episode, particularly at the end when they crash the shuttle on the planet, or landed, or whatever, and they go and find the raven, and seven is being like pretty much having like a flashback and is very overwhelmed and tuvok is just there as a solid presence and this is something i love so much about tuvok is that he knows when to like speak and when to like just stay silent and be there for that person and he's so good about that with seven particularly because i think he definitely appreciates her candor he appreciates like how just upfront she is about things because that's i think how like you know vulcans are a lot of the time too they're just going to speak their mind and it's not going to come from an emotional place it's just going to come from like either curiosity or just like hmm i find that improbable you know and seven is like very similar and so they help each other in these different ways they help each other grow and we see them a lot having a really good relationship, like in Year of Hell, they're like a really good team after Tuvok goes blind, and so it's just like amazing to see the two of them together. But I think it's, it's the seed of this episode, you know, of the Raven, and the fact that he goes onto the shuttle with her she thinks like there's Borg around and so like he's sure he's going to be assimilated if he goes with her and he goes anyway you know and ah uh, like talk about ride or die I just love Tuvok he's amazing like same when Jadeway was going to do that self-destruct in the juggernaut and he stays on the bridge with her it's just phenomenal Tilly and Tuvok have similar vibes yeah, yeah <laughs> <so right>. oh. <laughs> that's the greatest sentence I love, I love that. Well, and you're absolutely right. Tuvok and Seven have similar vibes as well. Absolutely, (laughs) similar vibes. Um, Vibes are good. Yeah, I love everything that you said. I totally agree. Something I additionally admired about Tuvok during this scene is that I think it's because they have this like baseline respect for each other, and they both are very efficient. They get the job done. Speak candidly, like you said. Tuvok has that basic respect. And so when he sees that Seven is in distress and really having a terrible time, he can see, and I mean, she does revert to being a child and we Mm -hmm. know that he's an excellent father. And so I think he's kind of using his parenting skills here to Mm -hmm. say, this is a situation where I should observe and watch and Mm -hmm. see how it plays out. And one line that really struck out to me was when Seven was like, are not you going to retaliate or like report me or like, don't I have some repercussions going on? Or like, aren't you scared right now? Tuvok is like, this is not playing out at all how I thought it would. And so Yeah, I'm just going to see how it goes. And I, I, there's so much wisdom in waiting yeah. that I just yes. really appreciated that. And that's exactly what Seven needed. I think if Seven was down there with anybody else, maybe Janeway. Janeway might've been like, Right, more hands-on, but yeah. yeah, I feel like Tuvok is a perfect person to be down there with. Absolutely, and like they should just send Tuvok on more missions. I think more stuff would have gotten done. I mean, he also is like an underrated security officer for me because he's like so calm and not like yeah. a stereotypical security officer he's where not he's checks. like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not turning into like a freaking suitcase and stowing away on a like rogue oh, transit God. ship, you know, like Odo would. Oh, no. Jeez. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no tu- Tuvok is like quintessential efficiency and i love yeah.
1: it Amazing. yeah back so, to seven <laughs> yeah,
0: back to seven should we talk about episode someone to watch over me oh man let's do it <laughs> so i am glad and sad to talk about this episode because there is a lot of sexism involved you know this is gonna happen sometimes when we're having a podcast talking about all women <laughs> so it's still a very important episode for seven and we did talk about it on our love and affection the series oh god take another drink <laughs> take a drink folks <laughs> <laughs> it's it was interesting watching this episode through a feminist lens absolutely so this is another episode where we're seeing seven continue to develop she like you know she's like going through some trauma therapy from the raven she mm-hmm. like finally is eating from the raven now she's been amongst humans for a while. This is in uh, middle of season five and she's starting to think about relationships because they, as a, a crew, have been together for five years and everyone's yeah. starting to interconnect, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, this is what Jane and Chakotay predicted. Everyone's pairing up. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the object of Seven's interest is Tom and Bolana, which we referenced to a little bit earlier about Seven mm-hmm. being a stalker. Yeah. This is where it starts. <laughs> for sure but like i can't blame seven and i feel like this is a very like logical approach because if you read about relationships like on paper like instructions it is weird and you can't do that and so like i think a lot of like children today and teenagers today learn from watching Mm -hmm. tv shows or movies but they learn by watching and they watch their parents and people who are older than them And so this is exactly what Seven is doing, but it's awkward because she's not like, she's stalking Tom and B'Elanna. She's like keeping note of when they had intercourse, you know, like high key. Yeah, like she said, because all of that deck knows when they're having intercourse. (laughs) Intimate relations, presume, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was a great line. Yeah. So, I mean, you're so right. This is very, like, this is a very Seven approach. And since we're looking at her from this lens of, like, still having the mindset of a child, it makes so much sense what you're saying. And Seven is not understanding a lot of social cues. Like we said, she has not existed with any humanoids besides the Borg since she was seven. And so this is such an important moment for her to start learning. But like, She also is contending, like she doesn't realize what she's did wrong for Bellana and Tom for stalking them, and she doesn't know why Bellana's angry. (laughs) No, she doesn't. And I mean, we haven't talked about this at all yet, but I do think there is like a little arc with Bellana and Seven's relationship, and this is like another nail in the coffin about why Bellana hates Seven. I think it's traditional in past types of TV shows that women are pitted against each other and so it's never said aloud but I do think it's like subtext and or at least like there's something about Seven that B'Elanna doesn't like and I don't think it can be like I don't know pinned down into one reason she just like in general doesn't like her she never gives her a chance Um, which like can happen like sometimes we just you know short-sightedly like hate people for like stupid things but mm-hmm. um i think this is the start of like oh god seven's being a creep this is really yeah. not right and i'm really offended by this whereas like i feel like if even naomi wildman did this she would not have yeah. reacted the same way no, you know definitely not yeah, I think it is because of her grudge, and I think partially Belana doesn't like her just because she's difficult to work with. Which is just like, come on, Belana. Sometimes you have to adapt to people's styles of work, especially someone who's coming out of a very traumatic childhood and existence, literally reintegrating into humanity. Like, yeah, like a little bit of understanding goes a long way. You want to work like to get on seventh level because she's not going to be able to like understand your level. Yes, exactly. So then Seven goes to the doctor and is like what did I do wrong (laughs) and they have this whole discussion about relationships and like the doctor is sexist and all of this stuff and then he says you're a woman Seven and she says is that an observation or a diagnosis? i just thought that is like (laughs) such a powerful line because Mm -hmm. like okay she's understanding first her humanity and then her womanhood but i think also it's really difficult because right when she gets on board there's all these men who are like trying to date her or go after her and tom and harry are very disrespectful of her and like especially like harry is just pursuing her a lot and it's like seriously like again we just need a little bit of compassion about where she's coming from And then maybe don't do that, you know, to someone in general. But also just, like, especially someone who's coming out of the board Collective. I feel the same way about this episode as you. I I really like it. But also there's Mm -hmm. a lot of problematic parts. Obviously, you know, so the doctor's showing her, like, a step-by-step. You know, they Mm -hmm. start going over, like, uh, what small talk is. And, I mean, honestly, like, these are really important lessons. Definitely. The problem is that the doctor is starting to fall for seven And then the other problem is that Paris sees this happening and makes a bet about 7, whether, like, if the doctor can get her to bring a date to the ambassador's party, then he, like, doesn't have to work his shifts or he'll work overtime or something dumb. And, I mean, this is just so disrespectful and just, like, further put Seven just in this, like, object category, you know? Yeah. Like, as if she's, like, a racing horse to bet Mm -hmm. on, you know? Like, oh, whatever, like, the monkey does, let's bet on it. Yeah. It's just, like, it's so, it's terrible. And it's it's not fun, you know? Like... No. It's not fun, especially when, for Seven, this is something she's taking really seriously Mm -hmm. and... It's not a game to her. She thinks that everything that she's learning right now is extremely serious, you know, because she's not able to have a sense of humor at this point. And she's not capable of separating, like, life and death situations from just, like, normal life yet. Exactly. Which is another, like, understandable response to trauma. Mm -hmm. And so instead of being empathetic and treating her like a friend, even or just a decent human being the doctor treats her like a piece of meat and it's just so disrespectful and i mostly want to talk about the part where she does find out about this bet and Mm -hmm. she says clearly you need social lessons to tom and uh, the doctor it's an epic line but i like wish that she didn't have to go through this because she's going through the uncertainty she's she asked this guy on a date. It went horribly cuz she tried to dance with him and like broke his arm. That was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> that was incredible. I was like I, I was like this. I would let her break my arm. <laughs> Literally save. And the I date was was like, would continue. Yeah. I wouldn't end the date after that. Oh no. my god no not at all it's just so it's so interesting too to me because the doctor says at one point like i'll help you meet the man of your dreams and i'm just like chuckling in the corner thinking about seven and rafi i'm like ha ha ha, ha. like little do you know well like thank- stop assuming people are straight thank you for addressing the animal in the room because <laughs> did you say animal Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for addressing well the of- animal in the room is an elephant <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for talking to the elephant, Rihanna, because she's gay. And like, this is the thing. Or she's bi. Or she's bi. Or or it's clear she doesn't belong with these men that she goes out with in these episodes. (laughs) Thank you. Well, also, I will say, too, something I was thinking during The Raven is like, or even during any episode where Seven and Janeway interact, which is all Mm -hmm. of them, I don't know. Every time I watch any Voyager episode, like, I forget that I'm straight. And I'm like... (laughs) Well, and who knows? Maybe I have something to explore about Janeway because I <laughs> Kate Mulgrew just fascinates me. I just, I'm in love with her. And I feel like Seven is too. And I mean, a yeah. lot of people ship Seven and Janeway and totally. I can see it. I hadn't, absolutely. I, I, I again, like I didn't see it because I was so blinded by Chakotay and Janeway in my first watch mm-hmm. through. But seeing these episodes now, absolutely. I hope it helps open up Seven to her sexuality. Mm-hmm. But it's very sad that there was no mention of like even a possibility that she could be dating women or pan or like aliens or, you know, yeah. it's it's very like the doctor assumes. But also, I mean, yeah. to save uh, Rick Berman's ass, I'm going to say that like the character of the doctor is rooted. Like we already talked about, yeah. he's not a feminist. He's going yeah. to assume that she he's likes men. He's, he's toxically masculine and... Like, very heteronormative, so, like, yeah. it makes sense. and so yeah. I think if Seven had approached Janeway about this issue, Janeway mm-hmm. might have said something different, you know, and we'll never know because this show was made in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's just a, always an annoying assumption to me when they're like, oh, yes, the man of your dreams. I always just roll my eyes. I'm like, it's not that hard to say person. No, it's it's really not. No. Oh, I, I also just want to yeah. say I love the scene where they're singing You Are My Sunshine. Yes. Like, n- so no matter cute. what you say about their relationship, they do have this strong connection. And yeah. even though it's not necessarily a sexual one or relationship-loving mm-hmm. like loving connection, they are deep friends. And yeah. even though, like like I said, they never will get together, but mm-hmm. I think it is a very powerful friendship that they have. And also, I'm just such a sucker for, like, anytime anyone sings yes also jerry ryan's voice is spectacular after i watched this episode again i was trying to sing like as smooth and connected as she Mm -hmm. is through you are my sunshine and it is just impressive she just sounds so good Ah, that's amazing yeah she's so cool and i do love this scene because i think they do have a connection because they're both sort of outcasts on this ship you know and then and they both deal with again exploring their humanity and fitting in with the crew and all of that so i think that that connection for them is really strong and like honestly i wouldn't have forgiven the doctor as easily as she did um, no hell no and i don't think seven of today would but like it's a convenient <laughs> end to the episode <laughs> i think she would have blasted him <laughs> yeah. like she did with jayzel yeah yeah like... <laughs> <laughs> I erased your program. <laughs> Resistance is futile. She wouldn't have been like Kess, like only giving him a couple hours of sickness. She would have no. given him like five more days of like COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy the coronavirus. Damn. You are my sunshine. Relativity. My only sunshine. sunshine. You make me happy. It's so he sings so low. These I um I just I also for anyone of you that heard my comment and was like, "Oh, Robert Ricardo and we're thinking about him. He too is a singer." So I know that. Oh yeah. I um, mean because he does it his like yeah he, literally, yeah, he yeah, he literally sings um yeah. opera several times and that's for a different episode. <laughs> that's for our music episode. Um, okay, so let this is the last episode uh, that we watched for Seven of Nine. This is Relativity, yes. named, of course, after the famous time ship, the USS Relativity. Ding, ding. We talked about this in <laughs> our time travel episode. Hang on, I'm going to take a drink for the audience real <laughs> quick yep and we also talked about this briefly in the beginning of our episode with Jera how this is the one where Janeway is seeing her bridge for the first time she's getting to see Voyager in person but the only difference is that Seven of Nine is here and she is in the Starfleet uniform like we talked about she's very out of place but she's here looking for a time bomb <laughs> literally <laughs> um, Porter is just, like, so just extra. Wild. I know. I mean, I honestly think that Enterprise watched Voyager only when making Enterprise, and then was like, yes. Oh, I and TOS. They watched yeah. both of those. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. So, anyway, I just love an episode like this because it's pretty much, the plot is a man sends Seven on a mission, and then Seven <laughs> has a... Reason to talk to Janeway and just say, let's involve her in this and we'll get it done a lot quicker. And the man says no, and then, J- <laughs> then Seven does it anyway, and then it turns out great. And so, like, I mean, obviously, he says no because they can't corrupt the timeline again. Janeway is the menace of time travel. Also, high key. he says no because he is such a grudge against Janeway exactly which is it's because he's the culprit his future self is the culprit (laughs) yeah so yeah i'm just saying involve janeway sooner and you'll get stuff done sooner and seven knows this and they should just listen to her but they don't and so this episode takes seven four tries to go back in time which gives her like time aphasia or (laughs) whatever and at great cost to herself she is going to save voyager and you know find the bomb that was planted so this is just an indication of how like epic seven is, and how willing she is to fight for the people she believes in. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think she's learning from Janeway the uh, like sacrifice yourself above all else oh <laughs> gosh, mantra. You're so
1: right. yeah. Because. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, she doesn't care if she gets aphasia. She's like, I got to do it again. I mean, also, to be fair, it's like all of her friends and her favorite ship are going to explode. Yeah, totally. But I also just thought it was interesting how easily she went along with the situation. Yeah. Because we've seen a lot of characters interact with time-traveling agents or people who are trying to direct the timeline in some way. And a lot of them are against it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and seven just she's very like doesn't ask a lot of questions she's like okay you know she's very can do she's like sounds good yeah. <laughs> i'll do well, it i mean this is i think a product of her borg upbringing oh, she's literally like totally. i will adapt totally yeah and she does mm-hmm. beautifully and we get to see her in all these different time periods which i think is so cool to see like she gets to go back before she was there and then after you know there's all these crazy different timelines but It's so cool that like she gets to interact with herself. And I love that then when she teams up with herself, it becomes even easier and better. And I'm just like, yes, this is the thing is like, she trusts herself enough and she's so confident. And this is something that, like I said earlier, what drew me to Seven of Nine in the first place, not just her like candor, but also just her confidence and how much she believes in herself that she, she will get this done. And she does every time. And sometimes she just needs a little Janeway help, but like, That's you know, I mean the two of them together are unbeatable and it's incredible to watch. Like it it just it gives me chills almost, you know, to see these women just so powerfully handling this situation when the manners are like floundering. Yeah, absolutely. I also love the way like I I love how powerful Seven's self-talk is. Yes. Because because she's finally like really suffering from the time aphasia, sensory aphasia, yeah. whatever, and she's back on the time ship. Um, she's gotten beamed back. And the guy who takes over for Praxis, um, I don't remember his name, but he's yeah. asking her, like, Are you okay? Like, what's happening to the to the admiral? Where is he on Voyager? And she says he's with seven of nine she is strong and she will get him. Basically, like yeah. she's like not even questioning that she was able to communicate the urgency of the situation to herself, yeah. and that she will get it done. And yeah. this is totally different than someone like Bolana seeing herself. You know, which we talked about yeah. in Faces, where if like human Bolana or Klingon Bolana had tried to convince the other of something, it would take a lot longer You're for sorry. them to be convinced and. I just feel like I it's it's something really interesting about Seven that she's yeah she just she trusts herself I think. Yeah, well, and it's interesting that you say that because I feel like Janeway when she meets her uh, future oh my self God. in Endgame, it's kind of like in between the two of mm-hmm. them. Like I'll trust you, but I'll be cautious. Absolutely, that's so, so cool. true. Like, wow. <laughs> but yeah, I just I think oh. it's a good time for all of us to think about. Ourselves, do we disagree yeah. with ourselves? Would we fight with ourselves? Yeah, what can we do like, to make peace it. with that? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> think about it. I was thinking just briefly during the faces episode. I was like, how life changing would this be to really be able to face this other side of yourself that you struggle with? Like, yeah, to wow. give it a voice Oof. and communicate with it. Oof. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, Ashlyn, this has been a phenomenal episode, and I. I'm just so happy we got to talk about all these incredible Voyager characters. I can't believe it's over, you know? like (laughs) This is definitely a high for me because of how many amazing and powerful female characters we have in Voyager. I feel like if you have any one of these women as your hero, you are doing something right, you know? Yeah. I am just really loving this series so much. And I think it's especially special to be able to do it with you, Rihanna, because... We are just so in sync in everything that we do. And I love talking about Star Trek with you because it brings up all the things that I meant to say, all the things that I never said, but yeah, I just, I'm so happy to be in this podcast with you. Yeah. Literally my other half. It's perfect. (laughs) I just love doing this with you every week. So on that note, we are going to see you all next week or hear you all. Or speak to you all <laughs> yeah, <unfortunately>. next week. <laughs> yeah. As we talk about the women in Star Trek Enterprise. Hmm, which women are those, Rihanna? <laughs> we'll have to find a few. Literally, we, we were like digging today, trying to plan. I was like, I found two so far. <laughs> and two have a question mark. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we'll scrounge up more for you. And we can't wait to... Unpack all of that, all of that stuff next week, and <laughs> Sorry, a Marty. very broad use of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, all that enterprise stuff <laughs> next week. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for tuning in, and thanks again. A special thank you to Jara for joining us for this episode. It like made it ten times better. So thank you absolutely, so much. thank you. Yeah, thank you to Women at Warp for loaning us one of your co-stars today it really means a lot um you can follow women at warp on facebook instagram and twitter they also will be at mission chicago and not only do they have their own booth but they have several panels that they are doing that are freaking phenomenal panels and i mean we might as well say this now because this episode will air pretty close to mission chicago rihanna will be at mission chicago because she lives there I am sad that I will not be able to attend, but I know I am extremely well represented there as half the Duras sisters podcast. I guess you should just call yourself the Dura Sister Podcast, <laughs> the Bay Tour Podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you should do a Bay um, Tour only, um, Mission Chicago exclusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I'll do one of just sitting in you my do house, Virginia uh, Lursa special. It'd <laughs> be much much worse. But yeah, so um, please, yeah. please look for women at work. Please go to their panels. Please support them. Also. Um, come say hi to Rihanna at Mission Chicago if you're not going to be there, or if you're going to be there. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, like, truly, I would love to meet you all, and I like if you just want to email me at the Dura Sisters podcast or drop into our DMs or we we respond to DMs like on every platform (laughs) so so like please I love talking to fans and I love talking I want to meet you in person and I'm going to be in cosplay all three days so I'm very excited and um, my partner will be with me on Saturday and Sunday so it's all very exciting stuff and I'm just looking forward to meeting a lot of you podcasters in person and maybe some fans as well. So thank you all so much. Yeah, I also know that another one of our former guests will be at Mission Chicago. And that's Julian Brown from Strange New Pod. I'm pretty sure like all of Strange New Pod will be there. Well, I think Brittany and Giraffe are also going to be there. So like half of Strange New Pod yeah. will be there. So they're like Strange New <laughs> <laughs> we'll be there. Um, wow, Social's good today. Oh, so, thanks. Like, oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm glad that you laugh. We'll see. We need to. We, we need to take a poll. Did anyone yeah. laugh during this episode besides me and Rihanna? <laughs> anyway. Oh Thank you so much for listening. Please, please reach out to us in any form that you want. Also, something that really helps out this podcast is by you all leaving reviews. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, it really helps our show by leaving us a review and pretty much you're guaranteed to be read on the podcast because you know yeah. we regularly when besides when there are guests, we normally do shout-outs on these mm-hmm. episodes and We have like two reviews on Apple Podcasts and I know that you will be featured if you leave us a review. So please go ahead and do that. Rate us five stars. That is how our podcast, you get seen and recognized in the podcast world, especially in this crazy Trek podcast community. We are just so lucky to be surrounded by amazing podcasts. So thank you so much for listening. I'm going to finally let you guys go home or... Well... (laughs) Oh no. Okay, Brianna's got more. (laughs) Well, we forgot to do the Brechtel test for the past two episodes. Oh my god, okay, Rhianna, bring us home with this Brechtel test see how much we'll cry. So, amazingly, we did not know that Jara was going to be on our podcast until, like, two weeks ago, and so we actually used her article she spoke of in the first two episodes, and so now I'm going to read for Deep Space Nine. Um, also, the article is from the Mary Sue yeah, the Mary Sue she mm-hmm. wrote, and Deep Space Nine passes fifty seven point eight percent of the time. No, way. and then yeah, and you want to hear the highest? So the highest season, uh, season three at seventy two percent. Okay, before work gets there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> The man is at it, and I then guess. It, like yeah. all of the females talk to the man. Okay, sure. Talk about Worf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then Voyager passes 86.9% of the time, which I'm shocked it isn't 100, actually. That is amazing. But that's still amazing. Wow. And guess what? Season 5 passes 100% of the time. And this is why, Ashlyn, we watched over half of our episodes from season 5. Okay. Oh my god. It's all full circle. I feel like Gaiden, where she's just like full circle, because like, Jara's article really... Brought this all together, and I just want to do an extra shout out and thank you all for listening. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, Rihanna! That really makes me happy because we, I, we again we put together this watch list like with we had no knowledge of this. Rihanna just read those facts because she just looked at them, and we were talking a lot about that after we created the watch list. We were like, "Man, this is a lot from season five. Season five, because yeah. season five. It slaps, guys. It does. It slaps. Slaps. The most feminist season in all of (laughs) (laughs) Actually, well, this article goes up till Enterprise, but still. I mean, Discovery, I think, is 100% the whole show. So, (laughs) we'll see. We'll see. (laughs) see. Catch us in a couple weeks, folks. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Duras Sisters podcast. Please join us next week for the sixth episode of our feminism series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss the amazing women in Enterprise. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok, and especially our merch on Threadless. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks the animated series, our review of the movie Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek Trivia. You can find all of this and even more at patreon.com slash the Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing is by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done mostly by Rihanna Hurd and sometimes by Ashlyn Gelman. Whoa. Self-bird. Those <laughs> are <laughs> rare. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Drop that mic. Get out of there all of you who just heard my comment a couple minutes ago and said but like uh, what's his name roberto no robert Ricardo <laughs> yeah anyone who heard my comment <laughs> 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 <laughs>